Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's get into it. So guys, today we have a man that needs no introduction on this podcast. He was one of the early people on it. Freaking Jeremy Fermato. The guy is back posting videos on YouTube. I'm pumped to see it. I think a lot of people are excited to see it. Your hiatus, I get it. I understand it as content creators and humans, the hiatus. And I think most people, I think a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't because they see so much glamour in it. But I really appreciate like being able to step back from a monster in a way. And it's kind of cool. And I kind of envy it a little bit because we're all in this rat race that you can kind of get away from. But I don't know. I mean, it, how do you feel being back? Were you excited to see some positive comments? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, definitely uh, it's a double-edged sword. It really is, man. So it's like it's, um, you know, it, it, I, would, I, would, I mean, great question. Yeah. I hit you hard uh, right on the head. <laughs> Well, being back on YouTube is like, that's the thing. That's why that's why we're here, man. That's why people are on YouTube watching us right now or listening. So, no, I mean, it's, okay, look, um, the, with the hiatus, a bunch of things, bunch of things happened. Um, you know, I was literally just felt led to like, hey, look, you need to back up and concentrate on your family. And then, you know, just other things in life in general, you know, there's things that I don't know that I didn't spend time learning like you know cultivating farming of which we'll dive into that a little bit later yeah but i mean like there's you know uh things that i needed to kind of uh do i mean you know a lot a whole lot of governmental education historical education things like that that i needed to kind of catch up on in order to you know i see the writing on the wall i was like hey look i need to I need to make some changes before it's too late or, you know, whatever it might and be. And you didn't stop doing car stuff. You <laughs> yeah. didn't stop tuning. You didn't stop working at the shop. Like, you just kind of stopped publicizing what you do every day. And crazy because when you stop doing that, people think you just, like, you're living in a hole somewhere and, yeah. like, not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, I mean, like, here's something Things happen off to, of the internet. Yeah, here's something I wanted to say is that, like, I mean, people are like, oh, you know, how could you do this to us? It wasn't like that. It was like I never you know, meant to thumb my nose at anybody or anything like that. You know, it was just like, um, let's, let's think about it like this. Who wants to work for a boss that their rules change every day? And that if you say something even remotely, uh, you know, <laughs> questioning something, Jeremy, they're watching, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> questioning something that they're doing, you know, then, uh, then yeah, then it comes and rains hellfire on you and, and threatens your livelihood. Who wants to work for a boss like that? And so I've tried to put myself in a position to where it's like, 
I'm not going to be the slave to the master. I'm going to do this to be able to benefit, you know, um, you know, the people that are watching and have a, um, you know, I want to be a light in a dark place for one, but for two, I'm not going to make YouTube my, my master. I'm going to be able to make it one way or the other and not rely on that. So as if you rely on it, you are effectively, you know, you're a slave to that gravy train. In it's, a way. It is definitely tough. I mean, I talk to a lot of creators on here as well. And we talk about like, okay, you know, we all kind of have like this centralized YouTube thing and everything stems from YouTube, mm -hmm. but you almost have to figure out where like you have something else that's outside of it and everything. And YouTube's just stems off of that. Like, yeah, we can get caught up because AdSense is like, it's fantastic and we all love it. And you know, they're, that one out of 10 number is uh, you live by it, you die by it. <laughs> yeah. And like it can. And so what you're referring to is the of your last 10 videos of how it performs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. live by that and you die by that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is like the not go to sleep that night number <laughs> potentially yeah. for mean, a lot it, at least. You know, it, I, I've been there and I don't want to I don't want to be there again. So it's like regardless of if it's a flop or if it flies or whatever, you know, I just. If I can have a clear conscience, you know, knowing uh, what I did, you know, was was trying to, you know, have a good time and while being a light and, and be positive in this tremendous amount of yeah. sea of just tumultuous crap going on, then then yeah, there you know, there's there's incredibly bright parts and I, you know, it seems to me that, you know, first of all, the media does nothing but promote the bad and the controversial and all that other stuff. And it's like, look, man, that's not the world I live in. And it's like I th the people that I see, doesn't matter what color they are. doesn't matter any, you know, most of the stuff doesn't matter. It's like we're all people and, uh, you know, I treat somebody the way I want to be treated. And really that's, you know, there's certainly times where I mess up. But at the same time, if I can try and live like that, I mean, how, what what more can you ask for? You know, it's like yeah. Whereas the the media wants to paint the picture, and and really stir us all up. And I mean, you know, it's that's just you know the, one of the best things you can do is like just get away from mainstream media. It is not your friend. <laughs> you know, it's like in a, the pursuit of doing what's <laughs> right, inevitably you're gonna do, you're gonna miss that mark because you're in the pursuit of that, and that's kind of like an interesting. It's an interesting thing in itself because if you're not in the pursuit of that, you're you can't do wrong really. Like other countries, they like communist countries, you never say that they did something wrong. Like they know what they did. They did what they wanted to do. But in the US, we kind of do wrong stuff because we're in the pursuit of doing right. You get what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? I don't really I get heard it. somebody else talking about this. This is not my original thought. <laughs> Shout out to uh Vivek he was telling about this. He's like, nobody ever gets on China for not following up to what they're trying to do. <laughs> but like the U.S., we fall short of the Constitution all the time. And we know that. Yeah. Maybe this is a rabbit hole that we yes, yes, to go down in the first seven minutes is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe some people understand what I'm talking about. I can't articulate myself well enough often. Oof. Yeah. And that, that's that, definitely a, a worry of mine. We'll we'll come in maybe back to that rabbit hole in a way. But like, let's talk about cars a little bit. Okay. Um, a lot of stuff has happened since we last talked. 
Um, you've been a Cadillac guy forever. Do you think Cadillac has just given up on making cool cars? Do you think they're like, you know, we made this V lineup for a long time, some of the best cars ever, some of the classiest, fastest, coolest cars at the track, <laughs> most handsome people drive them. Wow. And then they're like, not anymore. You're going to like break your arm from patting yourself on the back <laughs> so hard, buddy. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, the CTSVs are weird because first owner to current owners, like if you're like the fifth owner of a CTSV, you're probably doing like a sideshow somewhere and crashed it into a curb. <laughs> But, like, the first owner of one is, like, this upstanding citizen. I'm, like, third owner. I haven't quite gotten in, to a sideshow. You're side definitely show. a tweener. <laughs> you're a tweener. I haven't quite gotten to the sideshow yet. <laughs> There's still time, though. I know. Yeah. I know. It's just they're far. They're in California and New oh. York and stuff. But, yeah, Cadillac, they're kind of just done. Right? Dude, I, I don't know. It, it, You know, just judging by traffic and looking at all sorts of different cars that you see in your day-to-day, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you have the CT4 and then the 5 and then the, you know, I, I can't even keep up with they them. They look also. very mundane, too. Well, to me, it looks a little sportier than the average one, but there seems to be more in from what I've seen. There seems to be more of them. Now, what sucks, though, is that the way that they went with the global be uh you know tuning software yeah Yeah, so it's like while they provided more they provided so much more security upon it now of which hp tuners just got into that and we'll see how that all works out or not even though i think that hp tuners is basically taking your name and number and then handing it off to some sort of government subsidy behind the curtain you know so we'll see about that but uh yeah i mean i think that it's cool that we can i was so you know okay Wait, let's pause for one minute. All right, we're back. Um, GM is making terrible cars. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, was I supposed to be well, okay, a little so, more subtle? Okay, so look, you know, I think that there's really, really cool stuff. Ford's there. also making terrible cars. Does that I, help? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I, I don't think I agree. Like, I mean, okay, let me step back because I had a thought before you took a little break there. And this is something that, like, for as long as I had been tuning, Almost as long as I had been tuning. So basically circa 2002, 2003, all the way up until 2020, okay, I was able to do the most current stuff. And that was always really encouraging. Hey, we got a brand new car that just came out. I got a friend that has one. Bring it on in, and we're going to start tuning up this late, great car. Yeah, so like what were you tuning first? Like what with like, what was 2003, like a GTO? So uh, that's like, pre-GTO, but um, so, so like two, when that came 2002, out, it was like the early LS stuff. Okay, so and, and like even F-bodies. then, yeah, so F bodies, C sixes, uh, not even, not, not even. even C sixes, C fives. So C5, that was even meant, that yeah. was right at the beginning of the C five Z six. And I'll tell you what, a C five Z six is still a very impressive car. I remember my first time riding in a C five Z six, and I was like, "Good God, mm-hmm. this thing freaking gets it!" I was like, "This is." A fast car, it's nimble. I mean, it was a really, really impressive car. And, I mean, that car still with bolt-ons, if you go to a track day, you will humble a lot of cars. Is it the best? Absolutely not. Is it far beyond the middle of the road? It is. It really is. It's kind of right at this, like, end of, like, right before, like, so much safety had to be involved that, like, it made the cars heavier and more, like, cumbersome. Like, it was this small, nimble car still and, like... Didn't have crazy amount of EPA stuff. You know, a couple block-off plates could kind of just get away from, like, a bunch of BS. But 
when that car came out, how quickly from release to like tuning were those cars? Immediate, almost like immediate. That's what when I'm saying. They, when they right. launched, it was like you can plug in and. Yes. So it was like I would have to buy that lump sum of that year yeah. from LS1 Edit is what I was using at the time. But I mean, I was the first uh, guy in the you know middle Florida that had that stuff. And I mean, I was very young too. That was like 21 years old. And it's an incredibly large investment to be tuning those cars. And I mean, yeah. you know, by the grace of God, we made a good living doing that for a while. But but again, it was so exciting because it was like something brand new just came out and it was cutting edge and you're able to mess with cutting edge. Now, 2020, I haven't been able to do a C8 Corvette. I have one sitting on my dyno right now and I'm uh, having a little bit of problems with it right now. And I did write a tune for it and we get, did get it in, but it's like I'm still having some protocol issues. But, dude, that is now four years removed so that car came out in 2019 the 2020 mm-hmm. event four years removed from new so it's like the aftermarket um production of stuff has i felt been hampered at least but uh had stuff been able to be tuned and be able to go farther we should have seen many 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 more thousands of horsepower and it's not groundbreaking like it's on a it's on like the engine's already known like it it shouldn't have been so groundbreaking where it's like oh you know like when the LT1 came out that was like kind of like a learning curve yes the C8 should have been kind of just like a variant of tuning it is. the Z06 it is but the firewall Z7, so basically yeah. um what i've understood is that the protocol for communication was written on SHA-256, which is the same language as Bitcoin, okay? That is the same. So it's like super encrypted, like government-level encrypted, which, by the way, this is an interesting side note here on a, on a conspiracy theory. So I was like a big Bitcoin guy and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> government government level. No, when you say government-level encryption, I just think like, uh, so they paid as cheap. As, so they paid way too much for a cheap product. <laughs> That's what I think. Like when people are like, it's military grade. I'm okay. like, okay, so it's not that good and it's expensive. <laughs> okay, so the person that allegedly wrote uh, Bitcoin was named Satoshi Nakamoto. The okay. CIA, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. So it's like, you know, Satoshi, I think, means uh, center or central, and Nakamoto means uh, bright or intelligent. So, I mean, literally, the name translated as central intelligence, you know? So I was like, man, I was really, like, hoping to get outside yeah. of this system, you know? And then, yeah, but who, who knows? No one's ever actually seen that person. That person's remained a mystery. But, yeah, it's uh, it's, an, it's, it's not an a common world. Japanese name, though, is the point, that it's not at all a common Japanese well, name. Well, there was, like, a paper written in the CIA, like, five years before about, like, if you were to do a global central currency, this is how you would do it. And then, like, the script kind of ended up just becoming the movie in a way. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in it. Strange. <laughs> it's weird how that works. Yeah, yeah. The CIA has never done anything similar to that, though, right? This would be an unprecedented no. thing where they try to take over... <laughs> <laughs> if there's some sort of false flag, there's usually three letters that would come up. You know, they, they would never do anything like this. They've never tried to take down a government or anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like, so. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to tuning. Yeah, yeah. Is the CIA involved in the C8 as well? Oh, my God. Probably. <laughs> I'm sure that they're connected to my truck in the driveway right now because oh, yeah. it's yeah. the the trucks, the Global 2 is what it's called, right? Uh, Global B, I believe. Global B, yeah. yeah, yeah. B2. Uh, interesting yeah. how I've made that connection, uh-huh. like dyslexia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so that it's it's used across the GM platform. It's right. not like it's just the C8 right now. Like it's the same ECU in the new the new trucks and like the Corvettes and then they're using it in like the Cadillacs and stuff. So it's like it's pretty broad across the board. It's not like it's just unique to that. Yeah, and actually so just really quick parallel with that is that yeah, it is basically the same stuff as the LT. All the stuff is I mean there's there's a, a component that is definitely different, and they call it this neural network, which is basically like the VE map. So not to get too deep and crazy nerdy, all of the other stuff, you know, the the vast, like, 92% of the regular tune is the same as what's offered on, you know, um, the LT part of tuning on HP tuners. It's all the same, mm-hmm. except the VE map, which is the foundational map. So I would liken that to... You know, if you're going to build a house, you need a foundation. Foundation needs to be plumb. Otherwise, anything that you build upon it is going to be off kilter. Well, that's what the VE map is. It is very, very important, but you can accomplish many, many other things, and you can get to obtain goals, you know, get the fuel map still right, get the spark map still right, despite messing with the the VE map in in a way. So it's like you have an overlaying fuel map, in other words, but still Hmm. all the bones are there. Like I said, about 92% of the bones are all the same. There's just that uh, protocol component with the and, and the neural network. But those well, are the really big differences between the... Yeah, like the engine gen. should, in theory, the engine should run the same. You should be able to operate them the same. Mm-hmm. It, the only difference is the ECU and or the, the transmission. And in my opinion, it's very similar to like the GT500 Mustangs where people can tune the engines... And anytime they kind of touch the transmission, which is a dual clutch trans, mm. they kind of just don't work as well. Mm. Like there's no way to really, nobody's really gotten them to kind of do what they want. But in time. In time. But I think I think Ford has it so good where if you try to make it any faster, they seem to just break. Hmm. Which is a bad, like, yeah. like they're kind of at their, like they slip just enough to not break. And I think the C8 is kind of going to be in that same boat where like oh i'm going to make the clutches bite harder boom like yeah, that's kind of where you're at yeah i mean i, I think i get what you're saying um that because can so, you tune the trans on the new not yet not yet now i mean here's the thing it everything's a torque algorithm torque based uh manipulation so everything is torque based i mean everything whereas the earlier ls stuff you know, had some stuff that was torque based and some other stuff that wasn't. So it's like, in other words, if we want it to idle, we're going to command X amount of torque, you know, 
So you can go into a throttle table and say command X amount of torque. And what that does is that opens the throttle and or will add timing in order to achieve that torque figure. Totally sideways mm-hmm. of the other, you know, controls. Before it would be like you add airflow and you add the timing separately. And then you have basically uh, a sum, you know, or you have a desired result. Whereas the stuff that's torque based is vastly vastly different so it's like everything is based on a torque so it's like if you were trying to um, achieve a certain output or get max output and say for example the car has a a blower on it or something well now it's going to be seeing that it makes more torque because the mass airflow is showing that it's making more torque the map sensor showing that it's making more boost Mm -hmm. or or boost in general and then uh, it's going to cut the throttle so you have to Get that torque figure within line, and then if you don't, some funny things can happen. Yeah, <laughs> so. and it's interesting because, like, as far as I've ever seen, standalones aren't doing that at all. They're using a very mundane level, mm-hmm. whereas GM has to be so cutting edge because of all these, like, all their traction controls and torque managements and stuff like this, how all the wheel speed sensors have to kind of feed into the throttle body for some reason mass integration yeah they have to kind of overcomplicate it which just makes it harder for an end user and more complex for an end user yeah where you know somebody's like oh you just stick a aftermarket ecu of your choice on there and go ahead but it's like yeah but it's not gonna drive like it should no matter what because there's something great about how OEM... In my opinion, there's something great about how the OEM engineers have done a lot of these new cars. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I mean, the drivability is amazing. Like, I mean, if you jump in an LS car versus an LT car, the LT car offers just a number of more degrees, better drivability, cruising, smoothness, everything. It is incredible. Yeah. And, like, the late model LT supercharged stuff... There's cars that make more peak torque, like the Hellcats and whatever, but there's nothing that makes that has both the drivability, the smoothest, and that bottom end to mid-range torque. There is nothing that makes more immediate torque and smoothness mm-hmm. with the direct injection, the variable valve timing, and the blower. It is top-notch. Yeah, especially when like you get into the automatic ones where those trans just kind of like... I, I had this discussion with somebody <laughs> the other day where they were like automatic or manual, and I was like... 2012 and older, manual. Yeah. 2012 and newer, it's hard not to really think, like, the automatics have come. Like, if you're talking, like, a 4L80 in a performance car, okay, I'd rather a manual. Yeah. If you're talking, like, a freaking 8-speed in a C7, it's hard to really not like that. And really, you know, the so the new ZL1, uh, I say new ZL1, but it's, like, the ZL1 that's 2017 on up. The best As car the GM speed. ever made. Yeah, it's it's one of the best. I mean, I, I agree that it's the best Camaro that they've ever made, but that transmission. Best Camaro, yeah. And, and that transmission uh, is just incredible. And mm-hmm. uh, I've just recently, with some of the latest stuff from HP Tuners, unveiled a little bit more control. Like, I mean, I could get it pretty good, but I could make it even better and even faster and even firmer with that 10-speed. But, I mean, it's like having everything that you could ever ask for. I mean, it's like having split gears, but yet you're having a performance acceleration first gear, and yet you have the highway gear that is really holding it down, and then you give it a little throttle, it downshifts three or four gears, and, you know, the converter locks up in second gear, so it's like it's like having a super nasty converter, but not 
Yeah. And, and it's just, it's incredible because they've taken all of the performance aspects of what the gap would have been from stock to aftermarket. And they've narrowed that gap because now it's like, well, we can have the acceleration that we didn't have before because we have more gears and we can have the economy that we didn't have before because we have more gears. Mm -hmm. And then you can have this shift extension. Basically, if it shifts at 64 and it's dropping down to like 55, well, that's like having, you know, uh, a 3,500 stall or something, Mm -hmm. you know, so it has the benefits of all that because we have more gears, you know? Yeah, it's so so nice how they added that. It really is cool. They're really good cars, I think. I think they're going to be, in the next 10 years, I think that car is going to be a real, like, a real, like, sought-after car because it's it's kind of the, well, it's weird because I say it's the end of plug-in and tune your car in a way, mm. but it may lose it anyways. Yeah. Like, it may, like, 10 years from now, you you might be able to buy that car, but you may not be able to plug in and tune it because the tuning software that's available right now will change over time. And that's... That's the weird thing. Like, it's not like it's a permanent item that you can just leave with the car to tune it. Yeah. I mean, as long as as long as somebody doesn't go in there. So, like, here, here was the thing. Here's the difference between that, you know, 2017 to 2020 Camaro versus the 2020 on up Corvette. What I was initially told by my rep at HB Tuners was that they had found a way to get into it. But because it was tied to a local area network it could revert itself yeah. overnight. <laughs> so like, okay, sweet. We got into it. We tuned it. But tomorrow it's going to have the factory tune back in it. That sucks. You know, and that's kind of a scary thing. But I mean, let's be honest. OnStar has been able to do something similar to that, mm-hmm. even though while lurking ever slow, like quietly in the background, you know, if you're in a car chase and you have a late model OnStar, they can shut you off, you know? So it's... I mean, I've heard <laughs> of plenty of people that, they accelerated their car so hard that OnStar called them up. Did it like, yeah. were you in an accident? Yeah. No, I, I definitely <laughs> like heard You're that. still mid-pass. I, I had somebody that swore, <laughs> like, yeah, I took my truck to like 120 miles an hour, just got it, and OnStar came on and said, hey, what, you know, what's going on, whatever. He's like, I couldn't go past 100 after that, or 107 yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, they blocked him out. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they added that to his uh, yeah. social credit score. <laughs> <laughs> I want a little tick. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. yeah. Bad person. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it is tough because you, you think, okay, you have this now, you're always going to have it. But like you just, cause you have the tuning software now for your 2010 Camaro, mm-hmm. which <clears throat> bad car. Um, yeah. Tw- you may not have Camaro it not in so 10 good, years. Yeah. yeah. Like that tuning software could change over time because it's not a permanent thing. It already has, you know, and it's like, dude, HP Tuners has felt some of the pressure from EPA, which just sucks, man. I can't believe, you know. So the the latest version has uh, all the emission stuff de-checked so that you cannot access it. Now they have another, you know, older system that you can and whatever. But, yeah, I mean, that's just... uh, they're the bullet sponges currently right now. <laughs> like they are because they are kind of getting hit pretty good. And we're a little down downstream of them because yeah. all of our late model stuff for the most part relies on HP tuners. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to see them cave to something that's unlawfully putting out stuff that wasn't even legislation. It's just put out there and commercially meant to entrap you, you know? So, I mean, that's uh, it's terrible. Um, you know, I would, Hope that they would grow a pair and 
and basically stand up for themselves. But here, but here's the thing. You know, this is crazy. There's so many of these automotive uh, companies that it's like because they've paid the piper, they can go about their business, no matter how you know whatever. But that's really it is. It's a corporatocracy, and I mean it's sad, but it's the little guy is not able to do this. The big guys that have the money can play. So, I mean, it really is amongst so many different aspects of the economy, a corporatocracy in the fact, and I mean, it's something that we should all pay attention to. It's something that I think that is very, very important for, you know, try and keep business small in, in, in a way and, uh, you know, support the little guy. Um, the problem is small businesses learn the law for are, one are easier to trample as well for sure yeah i mean there's less money so it's, yeah like yeah. we're it's pretty like <laughs> i think what 2020 something happened and 76,000 out of 600,000 restaurants closed permanently yeah, yeah. 76,000 restaurants in the US out of only half a million ish yeah it's not as many as people think you think there's probably like you think there's probably a lot more restaurants than that but 76,000 and those are probably those are the small ones. It's not your Applebee's. Yeah. It's the guy that kind of, you know, paycheck like oh yeah, paycheck yeah. to paycheck for his rent that closed. And that's just a great example of like it can get trampled easily. For sure. For sure. While at the same time uh creating more support for the beast, you know, requiring <laughs> support from the beast, you know. Yeah. So it's like uh yeah. And 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 you know, I don't want to be doom and gloom or anything like that it's just something that like hey you know it's uh there's there's a positive there's ways out there is definitely uh something but again you know um you have to recognize it to begin with (laughs) i think is 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 incredibly important and um recognizing it and knowing that you can make a change from that should be a focal point yeah the worry on like a business that's like hp tuners is once they're at that size they have to look around and think we have 50, 70, whatever it is, employees that have families that rely on this. So, like, are we going to fight? Like, did they sign up to fight this fight? You know, like, it's tough. It's like you get to that size, like, okay, you know, you can fight the fight. You got one family that you got two, three families, whatever, that rely on your business. It's like it's a little different than when you like start to get this big size where you're like, oh, man, like look around and you're like Christmas is coming they got kids and stuff so like I try not to hold it too much against them because I understand we're all we're all kind of in survival mode in this world and they kind of have to go the avenue that does maintain survival but complicit adult is also a problem Mm -hmm. being complex being complacent complacent Complacent, yeah being complacent (laughs) is also a bad thing it's not because oh, sure. he told me to isn't exactly the best defense. Yeah. It's, it's worrying. It's worrying where we're going in the next 10 years with automotive. Yeah. Just with automotive, worrying. <laughs> Everything else is going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is going to be great. You doing some uh, maintenance over there? On uh, your I'm, mic? Just, uh, I'm just re uh, Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. So yeah. you would you would ask me a little earlier. Um, you gotta get the mic closer, dude. You can't move oh, farther sorry. away. I can't. Jeez. Okay. How's that? That's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, 
you know, on that same note, we were, we were talking about education. You were going to ask me something about education or, you know. Yeah, I'm uneducated, so I'm trying to learn <laughs> how to educate my son that's on his way. <laughs> well, congratulations uh, on that. That's going to be... My uh, uneducation or the <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, yeah, that is... Uh, so I've got I got two boys, and they're both homeschooled. I, uh, I decided, hey, look, I don't, you know... They've been homeschooled, too. They've been homeschooled, yeah. yeah. I mean, they went to public school for a few years, and then I was just like, you know what? I don't like what I'm seeing. I, I realized that this is kind of an arm of something that I don't want to support. And I feel that if their time is spent more with me uh, and their mother, then I think that that's going to be better quality time. It's going to be better bond. It's going to be a different type of learning. And, you know, um, you know, I went through the public schools. I was homeschooled a couple of years, but I had a different flavor. And it's part of what makes me who I am. You know, I wouldn't be who I am if I wasn't homeschooled and had that bond with my mother and learned those different things. You know, like I was a huge fanatic of history and I like math. And I mean, that's really just what makes me who I am. Um, And that seed was watered. So for example, you know, it is not easy to do <laughs> homeschooling. It is definitely difficult. And there's definitely some times where you're going to want to strangle your kids, you know, but, or they're going to be pissed at you for, you know, whatever, but that's life. And you, you know, but, um, so I would liken it to, if you were going through public school, you had X amount of time on each and all these subjects and all that. And it's fairly even on each, you have this day to day and you have X amount of time and, and so on and so forth, and this is the curriculum and whatever. So it's a fairly even, fairly medium, uh, you know, diet of all this other yeah. type of thing. And then the other side of it is that the people that are exceptional at certain things, they haven't just had that medium feed. You know, it might have been uh, more of, you know, nurturing something that they are already naturally gifted in. And I feel that that is what can make an exceptional person rather than, you know, just having that even medium keel. So for example, someone that is gifted at math and science or whatever, feeding and watering and nurturing that seed such that uh, I think that is is something that is going to benefit that person tremendously and give them more of an advantage in that field. While there may even be lacking in other fields, let's be honest, there's a whole lot of garbage that we learn that we don't use at all Mm -hmm. and there's a whole lot of stuff that we weren't taught that we should have been taught so you know (laughs) i i find that it's interesting because um when i was going through school if you were bad at something you got more of it (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, he's bad at math. Yeah, Better yeah. give him more math no, so he it, learns. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, absolutely. It's like, I mean, if the guy is the punter and he sucks at blocking, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you're like, like better build that skill. Yeah, it's it's like, exactly. well, that doesn't, it doesn't need to be like that. Like, yeah. oh, he's really bad at, like, if, if somebody's bad at, like, you're either good or bad at math, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's like a very taught, like, you can teach a little bit, but you can't really, like, it's kind of like a something that you're just good at. You understand the numbers and stuff. Like history can be learned. Yeah. Like political science can be learned. But that or even like, you know, English class, if you're like really good at grammar and creative and stuff, that can be that can be like a thing that you're born with. 
Yeah, just no, so I, I, different. I get that. And I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, just if somebody has naturally got the body of a nose tackle, well, stick them at a freaking nose tackle. You mm-hmm. don't make that guy your punter either, you know. So the point is, is just I, I think that if we, you know, can can realize whatever that gift is, especially if you're doing this for your kids, like, I mean, you know, my kids are incredible at motor skills and uh, and driving and stuff, but it's like we've been on the sim you know, since they could, you know, walk basically, yeah. you know, and I mean, I have two kids that are incredible at, at car control and in the, and they're racing carts and stuff right now, which is something that I did want to talk about because it is so much dang fun, man. It yeah. Is, carts I, I got to get great. you, I got to get you into more stuff. So like, so check this out. This is kind of interesting. Racing carts is smarter than racing cars. It I'll is. say it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a cheaper hobby. You can do it more. <laughs> If there's somebody on here and Easier it's like, look, I love building late model cars and somebody's like, hey, I want to set this up to do road course. I'd be like, do yourself a favor, take some time and get really good at racing a go-kart. And when you're really good at racing a go-kart and you want to do something slower and you have a lot more money to spend, race a car because it's so much slower. It, it's mm-hmm. just like the processing time. And I mean, let's be honest, driving a shifter cart is like the slowest one is like a 600-wheel horsepower car at 3,000 pounds, the slowest one. The fastest one that I've ever driven feels like 1,150-wheel horsepower car in about the same weight, 3,000 pounds. And it just is – it's hard to see straight when you're going through turns. You know, mm-hmm. and it's so violent. And, and, and the processing is like four times faster than if you're going at Sebring, you know, it's just like that straight is, you know, 20, 15 seconds long or 10 mm-hmm. seconds long or whatever. But it's like, dude, in a cart that that straight is now like four seconds long. You have three turns. You need to be looking ahead to that mm-hmm. turn. To, you don't mess up this turn to set that one up. Right. And the car, you need like the mile an hour to really feel it on like a straight. Like yeah. it needs to have like really have some power to, to feel it on like the Sebring straight. But in a cart, you on these smaller tracks, you just need to be really prepared to uh, work your upper body a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, there's the carts are vastly different. So um, just like, you know, I would say, hey, look, if you went to experience go-karting, you went to some, you know, regular place for the average American public, it's you're going to get a 1 on a scale of 1 to 10. And it's like driving a Miata, let's mm-hmm. be honest. So it's like it's slower. It doesn't have the grip. It doesn't have the power. You know, you might get a G, a G and a half. Miatas. <laughs> you might get a G, a G and a half out of a rental cart, which is still a good experience. It really is. And you can absolutely haul the mail with some of those if you really learn how to carry the momentum. Um, but when you get to something mid-level or upper level, the experience is totally different. Like, I mean, when I first got into karting, I was running 5Ks a couple times a week. And I was like, and I could do it in the heat and whatever. And, you know, I was in pretty good shape, a little rollerblading a lot (laughs) with my fanny pack, topless, of course, across the highway. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I, I got in this shifter cart and I and I drove it and my legs flew out of it. My core was sore and I got out. I almost threw up and I had vertigo. And I think the only other time I ever had vertigo is I was on drugs at some point. But, yeah, good God, dude. I I was sat there and the whole world just went in a freaking, you know, whirlpool. And I was like about hit the wall and fell down. But I couldn't believe the experience that I got. And that's I mean, how I felt in a sim for one of the first times oof. with like a headset. Like, Oh yeah. Oh, I think it's rough <laughs> trying to drift in a sim. I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's like, I want to get so many more people into it because it's like, it's economical. It sharpens your skill tremendously for the money. 
and uh, it's a physical workout. I mean, there's so many good positive attributes in the fact that you can work on something that you're lacking really, really quickly in a much more condensed fashion rather than road course. You know, I even did driver instruction for road course. So I did road course. And then, you know, as I got more advanced, I became an instructor. And I'm here to tell you, my kids can outcoach the hell out of me. And my son's going to be 17 in, you know, a few days. Yeah. So, I mean, his knowledge is far, you know, outshines mine. And he's that young. He could be able to jump in whatever car and give somebody tremendous input to what they're doing right and wrong way beyond what I could do and articulate it as well mm-hmm. at such a young age. Just from learning that. Yeah. And just I mean, from... it's not just from karting, but it's like karting and playing the sim and all that stuff is mm-hmm. really, really good. So like a gaming chair with like a set of Corso or freaking, you know, Gran Turismo. Amazing stuff. I had this conversation with somebody fairly recently too, where it's the same in Formula One, NASCAR, and now Formula Drift, FD. Yeah. All of the top drivers in the next five years are going to be ones that started at that age. It's already like that in Formula One. If yeah. you didn't start karting at five years old, you're probably not going to be a Formula One driver. Yeah. Agreed. And it's probably it's, even I, earlier. That might even be late. To yeah. Be honest. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that like if you didn't start that young, you're not you're not going to be in there. And it's going to be the same in FD because I already see like, oh, this 14 year old FD. Yeah. Like showing his skills and i'm like oh he's gonna be better than everybody because he's got 10 times more reps than anybody could have yeah and i mean dude this comes full circle to the education thing we were just saying it's that like do you think these kids are having a normal you know uh 8 a.m to 3 p.m school schedule no i don't think so i think Mm -hmm. these kids are they have a gift and they're getting that seed watered and nurtured and you'll be able to see what they have and uh, yeah, God help me. I have two kids <laughs> an expensive uh, taste for that. But so Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Check this out. Right now we're racing uh, Tillotson. So Tillotson is like, it was like, uh, there's been a lot of different engines that have been out there. And let me just give you a super quick. So it was like the Briggs was a, 206 cc so they call it l206 and there's all sorts of their clones and there's hondas and whatever but it's basically like the small block yeah it's the cheap way in and whatever so the tillotson is now like the ls it really really is it's got a d port on the intake it's got a d port on the exhaust it's a budget deal it's 15 horsepower which is middle of the road it's definitely like a four to a six on the scale so it's like way more power than the other lower stuff but not as much power as a shifter it has way more torque because it's a four-stroke and not a two-stroke. The two-stroke stuff feels like a big turbo. You come on, and then it comes on the pipe, and it rips. But it does lack the bottom end. So it's like, can you compete with that? Yeah, you actually can. You can run a really fast lap time, and you're lacking on the top end, whereas that is giving you the bottom end. So it's it's really cool. But the, the Tillotson is a 15-horsepower, and it's like a, a four-stroke, and you can do really, really fast good with it but that's where we're racing let me come back to that i'm gonna run to the bathroom so with the karting uh i feel like that's one of those use cases where 
electric is actually something that could be very interesting because you could have like low center of gravity. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like an electric cart does sound intriguing because I don't, I'm not crazy about five, 10,000 pound electric vehicles. I mm. think that's kind of stupid. Mm. But I think like you're talking about like bicycles or like motorcycles, like those are very interesting. Like the electric motorcycles right now are crazy good. So like it kind of leads to believe like an electric go-kart could be pretty serious. Well, maybe, maybe. But let me let me just say this though. Here, all right. So yeah. here, here's one of the appeals. Well, I shouldn't say one of the appeals. This is why I would say karting is it for me. And again, it's like I've experienced all sorts of different motorsports, and I'm here to tell you I've found what I what I love. He owns a Miata as well, so. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Whatever you hear from him. Which is for sale. So. <laughs> he, he owns a, a Caprice, a C4, and a Miata. So those are his car lines. Oh, trifecta of like <laughs> questionability. <laughs> it was almost like, man, what, what cars wouldn't you want to own? <laughs> you know, you make a point, though. <laughs> All right. So um, you have to think of it like this, okay? There is nothing that can be any lower. It is the lowest center of gravity. Like literally when you're sitting in the seat, you can't stick your finger underneath the chassis. Yeah. It's that and you low. hit a little speed bump and you yeah. hit your butt. So it's, it's different, you know, like not even a speed bump, a reflector, yeah. you know, it, it, it hits that. Um, it also has the most grip for that size. So it's like, even if we're talking a motorcycle, your center of gravity is way higher and there's certain circuits where it's just as fast, if not faster, than a MotoGP bike. It's really, really, really impressive. It depends on the size of the circuit and the, and the straights and so on and so forth. But a shifter cart, and I've seen some videos of them like going right at it, man, as, as fast as they can go. But we have twice as much, maybe three times as much grip as a motorcycle. When you consider that a contact patch of a motorcycle tire is like a couple stacks of quarters right there. I mean, you yeah. have floor, you know. And then that's one tire. And so the grip level is insane. Like you can experience three and a half G's carding, which is insane. You're never going to be in a car that'll experience that. You're just not. And you can get have to be an air tossed off a motorcycle and probably experience that. Touche. That's probably about. <laughs> so, so, and it's also the lightest possible chassis, you know, when you really mm -hmm. think about it. And that's where I would disagree with the electric. Because, I mean, if you're talking about that chassis is 160 pounds, dude. How much does a battery weigh? And I mean, even if you're doing lithium ion stuff, yes, it's incredibly light if you're doing lithium ion and, and whatever, which, you know, maybe. I know a guy time, that could do titanium chassis. Well, the thing is with the chassis, the component of what it's made, I don't even know what it is, okay? But it's uh, it varies amongst manufacturer by alloy. So, for example, you know, it is so highly technical. This is where it gets crazy, too, because, again, the component of what you're using, that alloy, that chassis is going to flex more or less. So yeah. thus it's going to yield more or less grip, and then it's going to have a longer or shorter duration life before it just turns to mm -hmm. garbage. So, like, I've had a chassis that was soft enough, and I had grinded it enough times that it just ended up flopping. I had to, like, re-weld it, and it's, of course, not going to be what it was to, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, that's why the used ones are like they right. actually get worn out yeah they get worn out and i mean they're the the pros they like the first couple hours of the chassis use and then they like kick them to the curb mm -hmm. for 
you know, the average guys like me, you know, so, uh, you know, even having something that's that young is good and it will eventually hour out, but, um, you know, that's on the race, race edge of stuff. But point being, there's no real suspension on these either. No, there's nothing. There's There's nothing. No shocks. You are the suspension. The chassis is a suspension. You are like, you're the only thing that's really moving besides a little bit of flex in it. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot to that. So it's like when you come into a turn, you actually want to push straight on the steering or I mean, on a braking zone, you want to push to the steering wheel to transmit that force down to the front wheels. And it's like, when you're going through a turn, you want to kick your heels out, pushing your butt back in the seat. And it straightens out the chassis. So there's actually like these heel things. Uh, it's just like a heel mount, I guess, that you would push against to try and do something with the chassis. So that you're very physically engaged in that. Plus your core is trying to fly out. Yeah. So you have to have a rib protector. Otherwise, you can break your ribs and stuff. So my friend's wife broke her ribs on a very minor, you know, accident. So, uh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how like actually labor intensive it is to drive even like Driving a car on a track is pretty labor intensive yeah. and you have comfort and power steering. Mm-hmm. And then you imagine on a shifter cart, you are just wore out after. Yeah. And I mean, so let's think of that one to 10 scale that I gave you. If you're going on a one to 10 scale on a rental cart, to me, that's kind of like a light jog It's a, or a fast walk. That's what it is. You get into a cart that's a four or five and now you're talking about it's a pretty good pace jog. Yeah. And then you get up into a higher level, it's like an 8, 9, or 10. It's like an all-out sprint, and you are going to get your butt kicked by the end of it. And, I mean, doing an eight, seven, eight-minute stint where most of these are like 15-lap uh, pre-final or final or 20-lap, that's, you know, if you're looking at a 45-second lap, 15, you know, 20 minutes, you're looking at pretty close to 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes of doing an all-out sprint, dude. In the, sun, in, in, the sun. in the sun, in a, in a full gear, yeah, like fully suited up. It will make you get in shape, yeah. you know, whether you want to or not. If well, you the want seats to compete, um, immediately are a heartbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to be tight, and it, sometimes it's hard to breathe. And uh, But my gosh, dude, so much fun. So this actually, and I'm going to use this as a, as a nice little shameless plug here too. So okay. it's like the next video that we're doing here is actually we found – a vintage racing cart, and actually Yoho over at Showtime had a cart that had been sitting for like five years or something. I had no <laughs> idea it was even there, and I go there all the time. And, and he didn't tell you? No, <laughs> no, I was like, hey, my kids are getting back in the cart. He's like, oh, hey, I got one. You want it? And I was like, yeah. Of course. Okay. And dude, it's, Do you know who I am? <laughs> but it's a, it's a vintage racing cart. I never even, uh, so it was a, a Yamaha KT100. And to be honest, that would be like, the F40 of like the late nineties. It was like yeah. badass for what it is. And it rips. Yeah. Yamaha engines are top tier, especially Dude, late nineties ones. Just take a wild guess what you think it revs to just a wild. Guess. Oh, it's probably like a rotary. That's like 12,000 or something. Cool. 19,000 dude. Holy crap. 19,000 RPM. Your typical two stroke that you take, like the shifter carts, they're about 12,000, yeah. but 19,000. So it's a smaller piston. It's a 100 rather than a 125. Mm-hmm. So the Bourne stroke's a little different. But dude, so fun. Oh 19,000. I love RPM. I couldn't. Yeah, it was, it's wild. I mean, it's definitely something. So, I mean, that, that video will be coming up in a couple of days or actually it'll be out before. Probably this out before this. It, yeah. yeah. But well, um, Yamaha is who designed the cylinder head on the 2J, oh, that's which is kind of cool. Toyota really kind of cool. outsourced that design. So Yamaha did a couple weird things. They designed like the exhaust on the LFA. Oh, and then they design like they they're outsourced to do weird things like this, and that's why the two JC cylinder head is so great because they use somebody that makes two strokes 
<laughs> no, that's awesome. That's good to know. Yeah, it's like a funny little segue that they can. Oh, that's that's really. really and they cool. make pianos too. Yeah, well. they do. It's it, weird. They actually make a whole lot. It's a of weird things. company. It is. It is honestly. But kudos to them. I have noticed that they do make certain instruments too. It's like Mitsubishi, they make like the yeah air conditionings and then cars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. So the carding stuff, I think EV would be kind of cool. I get, I get the purity of. It's, it's gaining engine. traction, even though I don't want it to, you know. But if you could put weight over all four wheels, yeah, is something that would be valuable. So on that same note, this is something I just really learned. I mean, you're absolutely dead on. If you can, so we have to make weight, and I was, you know, running a qualifying time, and then so I have to add, I had to add like 24 pounds in order to compete in this one class. Well, believe it or not, that weight actually helped gain traction yeah. in the turns. And uh, the fastest guy in the shifters was 15 or 20 pounds heavier, and it wasn't because of his stature. It was because they overweighted the cart on purpose. And I was like, when he went across the scales and they said 400 pounds, I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. dude. Well, you've driven a no-prep car. You, yeah. Look what they do. Yeah. They but, put I mean, it you wouldn't think of that on something dynamically uh, changing, you know, from side yeah. to side. I, I can understand it while, like, you're, you're absolutely right, putting the weight on the traction where, where it's desired – but I mean, yeah, I mean, but then uh, on top of that, they also don't have any downforce. Yeah, there, there isn't. There is some things that which you is can weird. Do. Yeah, um, it was always inherently weird to me to see that they didn't have any downforce, even though they were going speeds that you would think a little bit of downforce would help. Well, that gets into like super carts, and those are like two fifty cc's, and they have wings and mm. stuff like that. Which is the next? That is basically on par with a with an indie car like truly on yeah. par like i mean actual speeds where is the sensation so like for example i talked with a cart engine builder one time and he's like yeah we had alexander rossi as one of our clients and he went to scusa which is like super Karts usa it's like the biggest showdown of all karting places and it's like this is where you're going to find a lot of real racers and they do this to keep fresh well he didn't have as much background in the karting and i guess he'd been out of it and he got in it and he was like the sensation is faster than an indie car. He goes, "This is faster than the indie car." He's like, "It is incredible the sensation that you get in the G's and the forces and all that type of thing." And for somebody that I think that guy placed second in Indy like two or three years ago, probably three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, to hear that, and plus, like I've raced with Sebastian Bourdais, who's a Formula One driver and an indie car driver, and uh, Jordan Taylor, who's a you know GP driver, you know, yeah. and, and all that. And I mean, these guys got their act together. It's like. You, you know, it's incredible, the skill. Yeah, I got to race um, carts with Alex Bowman once. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I learned good. extremely quickly <laughs> what a real driver is like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not to mention we were on rental carts, and he's probably 30, 40 pounds lighter than me. Yeah. Probably another Garrett's 20 pounds heavier than me. So, like, the weight really helps, but that is not taking anything away from a Top tier level NASCAR driver. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's a reason they do what they do. And it's like, it's exactly. a skip and a jump from what they do. And they are going to take to it like a fish in water for sure. Yeah. For sure. He just, he, he was able to read the track on lap one, mm-hmm. whereas everybody else, like you're 10 laps in still mm-hmm. kind of, oh, did I hit that turn right? And yep. like, he was just yep. on it, you know, probably was in the simulator the night before. <laughs> <laughs> freaking ringer. Freaking Hendrick had him in the simulator, so he beat us. <laughs> but no, it's it's true, man. I mean, it's uh, again that seed was watered and cultivated and nurtured, so that'll be a, a common yeah. theme throughout this. But 
That's a, that's a cool one. Um, the the thing that I kind of look at like that in motorsports, I would say it's probably the dirt sprint cars mm-hmm. are very similar. They seem some of those dirt sprint cars that driving seems really awesome. Where you're in a controlled slide coming around the turns, and the only thing keeping you from going off track is a wing that's yeah. like eight feet tall on one side. Yeah. The, that stuff's really cool. Like they do like a chili bowl race down in Arizona every year, and some like top level NASCAR drivers compete in that. And I think that that probably helps keep them like fresh and racing is to compete in other forms of motorsports. I would imagine. I mean. I think that that's very likely. I haven't ever driven dirt. I've wanted to drive dirt. And uh, I have a friend of mine who currently does race like outlaws. And uh, he's in not the highest level one, but he's definitely something that's a three, what is it, 358 or something like that. QB mm-hmm. Tinch, whereas that when they go to the 410, they're making like 900 horse. This one's like 600 horse or something like that or whatever. Still yeah. very fast. And uh, in watching his qualifying and heat, you know, I mean, they're spinning the whole time. It's a controlled drift. It's steering with the rear and and the balance between the front. And, I mean, it's a seesaw the whole time. And you're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, if I gave it too much throttle input, the rear end's going to come around more. I'm going to have to feed it more steering input. But it's that balance. And, you know, just as anybody that gets acclimated to something, once you can feel it with your butt and feel it in your head – it becomes second nature. Lately, I learned something about myself that doesn't help me in racing. <laughs> but um, I learned I'm not very good at it, first off. And then I also learned I don't like when people are behind me because I like to be able to see what's going on. What that, is this thing? Oh, that's the thing? That's the thing that, like, I was, I was, in, I was in a pack, and I, I didn't like being in the anywhere that wasn't behind everyone because I didn't like knowing that somebody's behind me potentially going to crash into me. Which I was like, man, that's a really bad attribute to be a racer (laughs) that you don't like being in front of people because you don't know what that guy's doing. Like the mirrors obviously don't do that much. And like in a go-kart, you can't tell what somebody's doing behind you. But if there's a pack, my only worry was like, I don't trust any of these guys behind me. And it's just like, I don't know. It's a bad attribute to (laughs) racing, but I don't like people being behind me. It's a really bad, it's a really bad attribute. Because <laughs> how do you get used to that, knowing that the guy behind you could spin you out on any turn? Yeah, I think that's a perspective thing. You know, it's like when I'm when I'm going in, no matter what it was, I mean, when it was racing, whatever, if I'm trailing and then I pass that person, it's like I can finally breathe a sigh of relief is at least my perspective on it. It's like, okay, I've done what it takes to get in you know, past this person. Now for them to overtake me is I'm going to have to screw up. I don't want to focus on that. But as long as I don't make a mistake, I can continue on up and gain. That's mm-hmm. just my perspective on it. Maybe it's like being a perpetual optimist. There's some sort of, you know, there's got to be something tied to that. But anyhow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, it's like a, I I think it's like being like a pack animal where you kind of like to be able to oversee everything. (laughs) Like you're kind of like, you don't want to be like, 
anything sneak up on you. Like when you're in the front of a pack, everybody's sneaking up on you. A pack animal. Yeah. You're kind of like a pack animal. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like they, there was that thing about like wolves where the guy's at the back, like watching everything instead of at the front. There was something about that, but it was a myth, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I didn't like being, a, I didn't like being anywhere but the back. Weird spot to be. <laughs> we are our own wolf pack now. I have a weird um, mental deficiency, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so back to cars, as we've heard a lot about karting. Is there any cars coming out that do excite you? Like, have you noticed anything? Like, Ford's coming out with some new Mustangs, <laughs> but the new Mustang's 4,000 pounds. Jeez. I know. It's I was just like, who door car? No, honestly, I really haven't been paying attention. Um I haven't driven the new Z06. I would love to drive that. Uh, my buddies just went 10.3 at 135 with, you know, in terrible DA with a lowered car on probably different wheels and tires that were not conducive to mm-hmm. drag racing. So, yeah, I mean, the car's probably got 10 second, or sorry, nine second capability right out of the box. 135 mile an hour tells you. It's got some steam, and in good air, that would probably be three to four, maybe even five miles an hour yeah. in negative DA at MIR. In, you know. Well, there's some uh, supercharger kits coming out for those, too, that are already on the market that seem pretty alluring. Yeah, Procharger has one. Um, there's the 2650 from uh, Rashawn at, uh, is it Boost District? Boost, hmm. Is it Boost Direct? Uh, there's Boost District, yeah. That's what I always mix up. I always, <laughs> and I, there's a sticker on my car. And I always mix it up. I'm sorry. I am very sorry. I I always mix it up, but there's only it's not like I'm sending them to a different company at least. <laughs> but yeah, they just came out with the 2650 for it. Hmm. He like did his own casting and everything, and like really? that seems really cool. I think that car with a blower is a really good yeah like a uh, what is it a positive displacement supercharger is a yeah. good combo on that deal. Yeah, I mean. You know, like the GT500. Now, I've heard that the GT500 isn't so conducive to a lot of boost, but something that has those kind of legs, you know, Mm -hmm. 9,000 RPM worth of long legs. Dude, that's, let's, does it, does a twin turbo Lamborghini work? Well, hell yes, it works. It's got a lot of, a lot of RPM. So, I mean, now we're talking about the domestic market is now doing something where they've got that kind of RPM to work with. And they can compromise that kind of bottom end torque for that top end. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I mean, twin turbos on something like that. In my mind, now again, I don't know how the whole Ford internals work, but I think that the GM internals will probably work pretty good on a moderate amount of boost. And that thing, before too long, you're going to see cars with double the output of that because they can do what the Ferrari can. Or I mean, not yeah. the Ferrari, but I mean, uh, what the Lamborghini can do. If you can take that torque and stretch it. You know, and just be moderate on the torque and not dropping it all like a mm-hmm. ton of bricks, which is what a positive displacement is going to do. But, I mean, twin turbos soften the torque curve, broaden yeah. the torque curve. Dude, you got something that's really going to fly. Well, that's what, um, like, if you look at, like, LDR and, like, top-level drag racing, the guys that are going the fastest are trying to keep their motors out of peak torque because that is when things come apart. Is like, if you can kind of get your car out of peak torque a little bit, High, or high horsepower, but out of peak torque is when you're going to kick the crank out of it. Like if you lock up your, if you lock your trans in peak torque, 
high RPM, all your power, it's going to be it's gonna potentially be a bad deal. Yeah. No, that uh, that that does make sense. In essence, that's kind of what I was alluding to. But yeah, you've articulated in a better fashion for sure. <laughs> I just see it in the drag racing side but of no, things. No, it's true. Though. And with a two speed trans or a three speed, like you're very succumb to that because, like it, it goes like the gear ratios. Like there's no like subtle to the next gear. It's like you're now in third. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's a hit. Like it's there's like a violence that occurs there, especially with like a big blower car or something. But yeah, it's 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 pretty prominent in that kind of thing. I know you were tuning on um, Keith's car, right? Mm-hmm. The the Fox body. Yeah. I mean, that thing was probably making pretty solid amount of steam. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a there's a guy Brady up there. He's a young guy. He was actually a um, junior dragster champ, and uh, you know, I think I've known him since he's been like 16 or something like that. And now I guess he's probably 21 or something, 22. Mm-hmm. And he's got a similar car. In fact, I actually got some videos on that that I'm going to be releasing where we tuned that car on methanol. It was the first car I ever really tuned on pure methanol. But it was really fascinating because they said, hey, you can't do it with a Terminator, but we did it and yeah. found a way to make it work. But Brady is very, very... I think it's just hard on the O2 sensors. Because um, the, the Dominator uses a different O2 sensor than the Terminator. I think it also could be the spectrum of the O2 sensor, too. Yeah. So... Uh, but again, that that aside, Brady uh, has another car that's kind of very much akin to Keith's car. They're both running within, I think, a tenth of each other, and they're no prep cars. But at the same time, they're seven second street cars. You know? Yeah. And um, the what I learned about no prep through Keith and Brady is tremendous, um, but it's vastly different that setup versus their track setup. And and how to do all this type of thing, and I mean they, you know, they've gone off much deeper than I would care to go. You know, my my bag has always been fast streetcar, and now fast is is a relative term for sure. Yeah. But it's like not everybody can, you know, in order to have a car like that, you either need to have a crew, or you're going to be dedicating a tremendous amount of time, money, and effort yourself, and learn how to do almost everything yourself, which is, you know. That's that's a very very small small yeah. niche of people right there. So uh, if not everything yourself, and you have a very well you know decent amount of income where you can sub certain things out, you still just nobody's going to do that unless they are really 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 deeply involved uh, in knowing the setup because it just it's going to devour you one way or the other. You can have you know like seven of the ten a maybe. To me. <laughs> <laughs> you can have seven of the ten right, but it's like if you don't get the suspension or something's off, or they just came out with a new suspension component that really allows you to plant, you know it, and that's always changing. Yeah. So it's, it's it's crazy, it's crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's been pretty cool to Careful mess around the table too much. Oh, sorry, it may make some noise. But um, yeah, that's that's a cool car. I mean, you got to drive it too. Yeah, I did, and I mean, like I was not prepared for you know it, it's fast and uh letting yeah, I mean, off the trans brake button is a beautiful thing yeah yeah i um i'm definitely not prepared to go that fast you know it's just something like look uh and i, I honestly i notice it in my kids as well too it's really really funny it's like there's some people and and my son can articulate this in a different type of way he's like there's two types of drivers he's like the ones that's going to go just basically all out 
right in right away. And then there's the type that wants to feel everything out. And after probably lap three or four, they might start giving it the beans. And that's basically me is that I don't want to go into something completely just dive, 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 you know, head first into yeah. un- unknown depth water. To me, it's like I got to check, make sure that water is like, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll do it. But it's going to take me a little longer. You don't than... just turn on the shower and get in. <laughs> you know, sometimes if you need to wake up fast, there's nothing quite <laughs> yeah. like a cold shower. But uh, no, I mean, I would do it, but I've learned to err on the side of caution as I've seen, you know, over the years I've, I've noticed. And plus, as you become a parent, I think ch- things change. You know, it's like your risk changes. And it's not that I won't risk stuff at all. It's just that it's more calculated. It's like, you know, so, yeah, I want to feel out the car, make sure it breaks, yeah. you know, like, for example, the other day I picked up my buddy's C8, you know, and I, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, it's here and whatever. Well, he towed it here. Yeah, he didn't mention that it has race brakes on it and you have to downshift it if you want to decelerate at a stoplight. You can't just jam on the brakes there at all. Yeah. He didn't mention that it's a f- setup for somebody that's 5'5", five, five, so my knees are hitting the steering wheel. <laughs> You know, it's like he also didn't mention that it's on slicks. And he's like, oh, yeah, don't go faster than 10 miles an hour in the rain. Well, it rains every freaking day here. You know, so he's it's like going to rain. He's like, it will spin out. He's like, I've done it. Fantastic. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'll, I'll get this. I'll get this figured out right away for you, bud. <laughs> Man, this in my mind, it was going to be so fun to drive this car home. And then, yeah, something else happened and it lost a couple cylinders. on the way. So I had a terrible Drive yeah. on the way home, where I, in my mind it was like, "Wow, I'm going to be able to drive this C8." In a it's the 20, fastest 22 one in the world. C8, yeah. whatever it is, fastest one in the world. You know, naturally aspirated. I'm going to have, I'm going to rip it. I'm going to maybe get a yeah. race on the way home. No, dude, I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my um, I like what you're saying about the slowly step in. My first pass in the Camaro was an 840. Oof. Once I had the 2J, Oof. and did not know what it was going to do. I had not driven this car with a. A thousand horsepower at this time and thankfully i i do appreciate that when i was talking to alpha and i was being a little freaking wuss about it i was like hey are we gonna like you know you know turn it down a little bit for the first pass and he goes why would i do that i was like i don't know i haven't driven the car he's like why why would i turn it down i was like all right i'll just get in the car (laughs) (laughs) and he's like you just shift when you have to and hit the like you hit the brakes like he's like you just drive the car like turning it down is not going to change what you do in there yeah and i was like okay and it went 840 and i was like oh all right and then like two passes later went like eight (laughs) one jeez and then we ran the whole event like that it was the first time out it was fl2k great great time to take out a test car (laughs) but i i wanted to lightly get into it and i think having somebody kick me in the ass and say no yeah. It was actually a good thing for me because I was being a wuss. Yeah. No, I got you. I got <laughs> so you. it's it's an interesting balance. I, I definitely get if you're on like a road course, especially if you're a, kind of on like a very untested vehicle, maybe be a little bit more gentle. Yeah. I mean. A lot more can go wrong in a way. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Well, definitely a lot can go wrong. So um, do you want to talk about your tuning School at all? Do you want to talk about teaching yeah. people to tune? Are you going to teach yeah, that me to actually, tune? That'd be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that is definitely something that I want to be able to go through with YouTube. Is like I'll show little segments, and it's like if anybody that has watched what I've done for years past, 
you know, it's like I want to dive into that. And the people that are interested in that, then, dude, I'm your nerd. Yeah. You know, we can we can talk nerdy and uh, and and get into some detail stuff. By no means do I know it all. I mean, I know a whole lot, and I understand the dynamic across many different engine platforms, um, and and just the characteristics of control and to get a desired result. That being said. Um, yeah, I mean, um, we're going to do a tuning school and it would be HP tuners based and we'll definitely do a number of them through the, uh, novice to intermediate level, but we want to be able to get the people that are new to it, understanding, uh, not just the strategy and vocabulary of, of the GM mindset, GM computer mindset. So again, it would be GM based, uh, HP tuners, but understanding, you know, the strategy and uh, and how the computer thinks, how the whole setup is done, and and engine dynamics. So, for example, you know, if you have uh, and troubleshooting, I mean, those are tremendous because it's like you can be tuning, and it's you know, say for example, when I'm going on a tuning trip, and I've got you know 40 cars lined up to tune, I'm here to tell you that maybe two out of those 42 cars are problem free. The rest of them are troubleshooting and and solving problems. So to me, troubleshooting is incredibly important. So understanding, hey, does it have the right plug for the power level? Do we have a vacuum leak? Are the O2 sensors working all right? Is the intake air temperature working right? Or you got boost control where it's supposed to be doing? All of these things are so incredibly important to becoming a tuner. So it's like if you don't have those prerequisites, I want to be able to offer those. Whereas I feel other tuning schools don't do that, and it's such an integral part to understanding the bigger picture and being able to solve those problems and or work around them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to do like an engine test stand, you know, uh, not only do book work and understanding, you know, hey, this is this is what this means. This is what happens when we have this problem or this is what a VE map looks like on a naturally aspirated car with a big cam versus a positive displacement supercharger car. Vastly different curves. They look like completely different. But understanding that and then, hey, when you have a VE map that's really funky, the car's going to drive like this. Why is it like this? Do we have the wrong injector information? You know, going through little things like that, but I'll make it all tied together so that people can understand and uh, and be very, very, um, uh, you know, we can go break it down to basics and just understand, hey, a bigger engine consumes more fuel, you know, but a a bigger camshaft consumes less fuel down low and more at higher RPMs. Little things like that and, and just understanding how it all works and fits together is incredibly crucial so that you can be in layman's terms but yet be very, very advanced in a short amount of time. That's what I was going to say is the tough part about tuning school is because if you have 10 people standing there, they all have very vast different levels of understanding. I've been to a tuning school and I didn't have enough understanding when I walked through that door to, I think, grasp enough from that tuning school. If I went now, it'd be a lot different. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's about... Because, like, some tuning schools, oh, show up at level one. Some tuning schools show up at level five and will make you level ten. Yeah. It's kind of like you're... There's a couple of them out there, and I know of a couple that tune, like, Holly schools and stuff. Devin Vanderhoof does a does a lot of good videos on holly tuning, and he does a school as well for, like, big power stuff. Like, drag racing school is a little different than, like, let's tune this car so its street manners are still good. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't even think about that. Like, mm-hmm. you're 
typical run of the mill, like my car, the street manners are not a thought <laughs> when you're when you're tuning that. Like that's like you're not gonna like all right now let's go take it on the street and make sure that it's <laughs> that it cruises nicely. <laughs> no, absolutely. I uh, no that that makes perfect sense. I mean, so you know, I would just say it in a different way is that yeah. Streetcar, you know, daily driver type stuff. Well, mine's a streetcar. Don't try to. Oh, it may be sitting on the lift for the last three months, but it's a streetcar. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it fast streetcar. You know, it could be anything from a slightly modified, you know, daily driver on up to something that's, you know, generally eight second capable or something like that. Is is that? So we're gonna try and get good drivability. Focus on drivability, you know, not just peak power. Peak power is the easiest of all to get. That's the that takes the least amount of time. It's the other stuff mm-hmm. that would make you a desirable tuner. Yeah, like wide open throttle tuning is. Yeah, I mean, it's the one dimension where we need three yeah. dimensions here. Um, so trying to nail those is is very very important, and hopefully we can bring a lot to the table with that. Um, you know, uh, there was something that I wanted to introduce that I don't believe I'd seen on other tuning schools is like, you know, yes, as I said, we would have time in a, in a classroom understanding stuff, but also, you know, dyno time that also is common on another tuning school. But <clears throat> the troubleshooting of having an engine test stand and basically, you know, I send the guys in and we're going to go quaggle, you know, four or five things up. And now you guys are going to figure out how to fix them. Yeah. You know, what Let is, me work on that. What, yeah. Let's, let's see. We have this, 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 and this problem now. And now it doesn't want to idle or drive or anything like that. What, what the hell do we do? Cooper you know? just showed up and he was working on this thing. <laughs> Try to fix it. <laughs> so those type of things is what sharpens you. Just like, uh, you know, if you're into anything sparring is going to make you better at whatever you do. So you're in a way you're sparring with the problems of, mm-hmm. of what you could encounter day to day. And well, it, there's two levels of it too. There's mechanical or there's wiring. Yeah. Like sensors. There's like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you figure out when we were on sick week and I had my Mustang out, we were in Gainesville about as far as you can get away. Mm-hmm. Currently we start hearing this knocking sound. Oh boy. Like, oh, that sounds like an end of the week. Thankfully, it was a rocker that came off. Oh, yes. But, like, it sounded like it was from the bottom end, like, making all this noise, and it was a sad deal. But uh, troubleshooting something like that, where it's, like, that's different than if I'm troubleshooting a sensor on the side of the road. So there's, like, the levels of troubleshooting, and you have to understand the engine that you're working with, the computer that you're working with, and then the sensors that you're working with. Yeah, agreed. agreed. It's kind of a cool, it's it's like the ultimate test of man and machine to no. be able to get a car running and working correctly and then blow it up and then <laughs> have to make it work correctly again. <laughs> That's key to this whole sport that we do. Oh, yeah. No, blow it, it up and then learn from there. I mean, I know you've had your fair share. <laughs> We've all had our there, – yeah. there's some things that do happen when cars blow up that really make you, like, scratch your head and you're just like, I'm just impressed that that happened. Like, how did that even <laughs> – like, how did that even – how does that even happen type of thing, you know? Like, there's there's those that really make you question. Yeah, you know, and, and some of those things, like, okay, for example, my, my wife's truck has had a demise a couple times of just – 
dumb stuff. Like yeah, we, have, we have a house up in North Georgia, and it's like I am used to not putting coolant in and just run water, or just a super thin, super thin amount just to keep it from oxidizing. But yeah, when it's 24 degrees at night and the intercooler happens to rupture because it froze. Turns out that's below freezing. It doesn't, you know, you're right. As it turns out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, anybody else that's not been a Florida boy the rest of their life and doesn't have to deal with freezing temperatures. Yeah, I know it sounds obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. Yeah. <laughs> but now that I've learned the expensive lesson, I, and when I go to those areas, I, I do think about it, so... Ah, another water. Yes, that maybe yes. beverages. I'll definitely have to pee before you know it. Yeah, sure. me too as well. That's part <laughs> of it. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I've been a part of some Escalade destruction. I've seen it, witnessed it. I mean, stupid things like a drive shaft comes apart, which is fairly common on GM vehicles that are 1500s, like any GM, because yeah. it is kind of a GM 1500 technically. Yeah, but I mean, they did so much better on the later model drive shafts. Like drive shafts 07 and down on the trucks are poop. You know, I remember uh, I had this Arab customer and he was so nice. And uh, we were dining and I was down in South Florida. And he's like, oh man, he's like, you can't go over 107 miles an hour. And I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. fine. Dude, the moment we hit 107 miles an hour, the freaking drive shaft kicked out and broke apart. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I was like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, ah, it's happened before. (laughs) But I was just like, oh, idiot. So, I mean, I really just don't do that anymore on those years and down. Or I will always ask the question. I'm like, hey, does this have an aftermarket drive shaft? Is it a later model drive shaft? Have you had it built? Did you spend a lot of money on it? You know, it's like those $700 on up drive shafts generally are better. But if you look at those earlier ones, they're vastly different. Um, as far as diameter and what they use and length and so on and so forth. It so, happened to James's burnout truck when we were at the shop, when oh, we were yeah. still at the shop up there. Yeah. Like, yeah. it broke. And then, like... Happens to be a sub-2007. <laughs> and it happened to break the trans and oh, yeah. stab a hole in the fuel tank. Yeah. And I think it damaged the diff. Oh, like, yeah. it was, like, all bad. It just, like, was a cascade of, yeah. like, got everything good. But, no, yeah, that's that definitely was, true. I, I've been... I've been in like 12 or 13 cars where the drive shafts come apart on the dyno. And some of them, I mean, most of them are like some sort of hot rod that has, that has been the part or component that they skimped on. You know, it might've had this awesome motor and great differential and all that other stuff and an awesome transmission, but they skimped on the drive shaft. So yeah, that sucks. When you're like looking down and you, know, you feel like a pansy, but you're like, ah, I get up like this. Yeah. You see this. That's a scary thing yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going over 100 miles an hour on the dyno and then you see sparks coming in, flinging at you, mm-hmm. or things could be coming at you. You know, I mean, I remember being at a, another shop and they're like the day before they were doing some super nasty car. I don't know if it was like a Pro 50 car or whatever at the time or 10 and a half inch tire, you know, car that was really competitive. Yeah. Making a pull on it, and um, they're like, oh, yeah, look up on the roof right there. And you look up on the roof, and there was, like, part of the drop ceiling was just destroyed. And they're like, yeah, the guy, you know, something came apart and hit his leg, and he almost bled out to death right here. I'm like, good God, yesterday? And they're like, yeah, yesterday. And I'm like, sweet. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, something came apart. I don't know if it was, like, a clutch or something, and it went through and hit the guy's leg. And, I mean, yeah, it's – you. 
something that you wouldn't normally think about, but it's something that's turned up to the nth degree. And even though they yeah. had good parts and components on it at that, because that's not something that they really skimped on. Maybe they didn't have, you know, the bell housing that was, you know, whatever, but still, yeah, it's safety is definitely something that <laughs> you need to consider more. As, as a tuner, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a couple tuners have to dive out of vehicles before. Yeah. I've seen videos of it. I've seen airbags go off. I saw one the other day. It was a, a six gen Camaro that like the converter exploded mid pull and like the airbags go off on the driver door and like the cab gets filled with the car gets filled with smoke and the converter goes like this. And it was just like, yeah, it's like, Oh, all right. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, that thing's probably totaled. Like it, like the car may actually be totaled from that. Jeez. Like a newer, a newer yeah. Camaro. I'm sure insurance would be like, yeah, it's, it's She's done. <laughs> like that could actually total out a car, which is kind of interesting because you only think of that when you crash, but you can mechanically total a car as well, especially oh, yeah, if you definitely. destroy an engine and trans on a brand new ZL1. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. Um, I was thinking about this on your way down. Do you think that the the C7 ZR1 is going to go down as the best car GM ever made? Ooh, I don't know, but it is so impressive. It's really, really impressive. What's not impressive, though, is their stock fuel system. Now, that actually can be up for argument on some of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've only worked on one of them, and we almost immediately, tiniest pulley adjustment, ran out of fuel system. But, okay, allegedly, there is a tremendous amount of room in that FICM, which is the fuel injection control module. So that has a different control module because it has both direct injection and port injection. So it has kind of the, you know, yeah. Lamborghini Huracan type deal fuel system. The Mustangs on, do that now too. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And uh, now, I mean, we could have, in hindsight, just put in like ZR1 injectors, the early previous generation ZR1 injectors, which would have been twenty percent larger on the mm-hmm. uh, multiport part, and that could have, and the multiport only comes on at a certain area, and so on and so forth. But again. Mm-hmm. I don't know as much about that platform, but if it were like the other platforms that LT offers, you can turn up the fuel system like 25%. So if you could, you know, if you turn it up 25% or more, the potential there is insane. So you know, this may be control. a stupid question, but so you, a car down here on sea level like that, that's almost out of fuel, would it be out of fuel at altitude? You would have more room because you're pushing less oxygen. Which you would have would more have proportionate, fuel system. Yeah. Okay, so down less. here, we're in like the worst situation for that. Yeah, but I mean, if we're A, down here on sea level, but also somewhere cool, that would be yet another thing. Because again, it's effectively the same difference as the mm-hmm. density altitude change. Yeah. So, I mean, if it was New York, while you're at sea level and you've got 30 degrees out and you can still go play on the street, 30 degrees instead of you know, 90 degrees, the car's going to be making at least two pounds of boost more on a positive displacement blower. So that's going to tax the fuel system more. Hmm. So it's just enough to make it. But yeah, that's just the way that it is from the factory. I was very surprised. Yeah, so, it is unfortunate. I, I I hate the idea that they give stuff on like the ragged edge of like, like just what you need on a $300,000, $250,000 car. Yeah. Because that car what two times the cost of a z06 
Yeah, probably. Like double? I think at the time it was like 160 or something like that. So, I mean, it was basically I think they're going twice. for 250 now. <laughs> yeah, now. I don't know how many they even produced. I think it was... I really don't know how many they produced. It was weird because it was right at the end of the C7 and there was like slight overlap in C7 and C8. Or two years, right? Yeah, one, like it's a weird couldn't car. Couldn't be more than 2,000 or 2,500 produced, right? I really yep. don't know. I think so. Yeah. And they came auto or manual, so then that cuts them down in half again. Like if you want a manual one, now it's like really rare. Yeah. But yeah, that car's... love that car. They're so good. It is impressive. It's, it's a little heavy, but I mean... Dude, it's quick, very quick stock. So much very ag- impressive, like aggressiveness to it. Also, it's like such a, such like a good looking car. GM did a good job on that, and now they're kind of making a little bit of plain stuff. <laughs> Sorry, GM. <laughs> you think any GM executives will come on and talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably burning that bridge. I think it's already been burned. Actually, I've, I burned that bridge long ago. Actually, unfortunately, I've had a couple run-ins with. GM executives and crazy enough, we never had great conversations. You know, <laughs> the the first time I met a GM executive, we were we were talking about the ATSV, mm. and one of my first comments was, "Put my foot right in my mouth." I said, "It doesn't sound good," and he said he worked on that project. <laughs> <laughs> So your mom's ugly. <laughs> I was like, I was and, like, it's a really cool car, but it doesn't sound good. And she's fat. <laughs> he he wanted in his deep down, I could see he wanted to agree with me because he said he was like, I didn't get everything that I wanted out of it. Mm. That's what his answer was. And so he agreed with me. And then the other time I talked to a GM executive, they were going around the room and they were asking what cars everybody owned. One was like a C7. One was like, oh, I got a C5 that's turbo. Here you are, V1. And I told him I got a V1. Oh. And there was an immediate silence in the room, and they all kind of looked away. And I said, a lot of problems. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody shut up. (laughs) And then they immediately skipped me (laughs) from asking (laughs) it. Moving right along. You can't hide what you did to us. So I've always, I've always put my foot in my mouth. What was I going to tell him? Like, I, I don't have anything. Yeah. And now, oh, what do you have now? A Camaro without a Chevy motor. <laughs> it's never worked in my favor. But at the same time, Cooper, you offer a completely unique perspective, not of which I will always agree with, but I do respect nonetheless. Oh, appreciate so, that. And, and that goes across... Not just the automotive thing. You said something the other day. Of, yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was. But I was like, you know, that's a very unique perspective. And uh, I I can completely respect it. You know, and it was something, I think it was something related to automotive sponsorship or something. Mm-hmm. That was what it was. You know, and I was like, you know, the easy way would be to take the money and just whatever. But standing your ground and standing for what you believe in, there's a lot to that and it makes me respect you more as a man so thank you i appreciate that i i feel the same with how your stance is on youtube and kind of staying off things like doing things that go with your beliefs what we were talking about a little bit was um getting paid ads for things that we don't truly agree with and how i try to stay away from them as much as possible and yeah there's there's balance the give and take you know i gotta feed my family and but also I have morals, so it's like a tough 
it's a tough balance. It is your morals and and lately, I don't know. I feel like morals don't even matter anymore in this world. Well, I think that that's the that's the thing that that idea would be cultivated by the powers that be. You know, it's like there was something that I had read one time that somewhere about like ninety percent of the overall companies out there in general are not going to be with what I believe, support, and would want to cultivate. And how do you do without 90% of that business on whether it's, you know, let's just say Target, for example, or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't want to give Target money for what they are and what they do and whatever. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like, Yes, I do have a choice. I would rather not, you know, you know, but it's it's things like that. But but yeah, I mean at the same time, you know, put your money where your mouth is, support the things yeah. that you do believe in and and so on and so forth. And I think if all of us did a little bit of that, there is power in the people. The people have a voice and don't ever for a second think that you can't make a difference. You know, that's what the world that. wants to tell you. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. I have these yeah. discussions and I'm like, you vote with your wallet every single day. And it's so yeah. cliche, but it's so true. Yeah. You can see that with Bud Light. People voted with their wallets so heavily on that. I don't care what side you take on it, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't really matter to me. But for the, like, obviously I have my opinions, but like, if you want to be on the other side of it, whatever. Yeah. But the and we don't have to not be friends. That's another thing I yeah. want to say on this because that that sucks. Is like go on with that thought, but it's like to me, it's like, dude, we can disagree and still be good friends, you know. So, and I think that that you know that's what the media wants to paint, and that's we get that idea a whole lot, and it's like, dude, I'm guilty of it myself. Some people don't know time, how to disagree though because yeah. they're not they can't articulate their opinions well enough. Yeah. And if you have an opinion that's easily torn down, it's tough to disagree with somebody because. Like if you have an opinion on something that I can give like five reasons why you have a bad opinion and you can't rebuttal that, yeah, it's tough to then continue to talk to that person that just made your opinion seem stupid. Oh yeah, no, dude. That and I mean, just as I was saying, hey, you know, sparring is like a good way of practicing what you're going to encounter in the real world. It's it's the same thing. I mean, putting this into practice, you know. So um, yes, we can disagree on stuff, and in the last really year and a half um i've put a lot of what i believe through the ringer and listened to the opposing side and i've changed my opinions on some things uh some big things in fact you know uh whether it be the narrative of a historical something you know Mm -hmm. and uh and i've definitely found truth and really truth is the ultimate plumb line when you find the truth Whatever you might have believed, if it doesn't line up with the truth, then that's up to you. But, I mean, when you find truth, regardless of what you've been told, conditioned, or what you believe, you know, if you if it can stand the test of truth, then there you go. You know, you can... I've started to sit with my ideas and opinions a lot lately. Like, I bike every morning, <laughs> and I try to, like, sit with my... Like, if I have an opinion on something, I try to look at it from both ends and, like... Probably sound like a schizophrenic, but I debate myself in a way from both ends of this the side of an opinion. Yeah, and I even try to like read against my opinion, and if it still holds up, then I like it. Like some people, they're scared of that. They're like, I just want to reinforce what yeah. I believe in, and if I I don't want to read anything that doesn't reinforce that. Yeah, but I think 
I also have a unique mental state because somebody was just talking to me about this the other day. They're like, I can't look at the news because it makes me so depressed. And I'm like, I can read an endless amount of news and it doesn't affect my mental state. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is nobody's going to want to look at their opinion that they don't agree with because it's going to affect their mental state. And I didn't realize that people were so fragile like yeah. fragile in that yeah. way. I, and, and I mean, you know, the uh, so again, you know, just as we were saying something about and dude, I really like how everything that I'm saying is coming into like a full circle here. Just as we were talking about the media, dude, it's like something like. I don't know, 87% of the media is owned by like three or four companies and they have an agenda and it's not a good, you know, traditional agenda. You know, it's like um, they're going to push, you know, fear mongering and they're going to push faithlessness and doom and gloom. And and I'm again, that's not the world that I live in. I mean, I encounter good people, you know, I, I see good frequently. It might not be daily, but it's pretty darn frequently. And I would really want to focus on the good rather than whatever the media is telling me is the next thing to be fearful. And I mean, again, if they're putting you in a fearful state, that does have an effect on you. But as long as you're not buying into those lies, you know, it is a diet of the mind. And you have to think of it that way. Because again, what you put in, it does have an effect on you. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I noticed that for, for a lot of other people, and I haven't noticed that for myself. Maybe I'm just too blinded by my own, like, I, it's not even like a superior thing. It's just like I, my brain has always been like that. I at, In sixth grade, when I was what, 12 years old, mm-hmm. I watched political news every single night before I went to bed. <laughs> you sick kid. <laughs> I, watched, I watched both uh, Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert oh, every single night, and I disagreed with everything, like, I disagreed constantly. Yeah. And I even knew that I disagreed and I still watched it every night. Yeah. But I didn't get indoctrinated into that thinking. I had the opposite thinking still. Yeah. But every night before I went to bed while I was in bed. Interesting. And it didn't like that's why the news even like we used to read in in like fifth grade. I think it was there was a New York Times on our desk every single day. And I had a teacher that would make us read it every single day. He said, I don't care which articles you read. You just have to read for the next 20 minutes of class. And I would probably read the opposite of what everybody else read because <laughs> half the kids would pick up the sports or like something yeah. like that. And I would pick up like probably it was probably about tragedies then like the news <laughs> is. <laughs> and somebody um, commented that. That's psychopathic tendencies to not be affected by that. And it may be true. It may be true. Because I know from experience, my wife is very affected by this stuff. Yeah. If she reads yeah. doom and gloom news, yeah. she's gonna be, it's going to affect her day. She's, she's going to push it away as soon as she can stop reading it. But I just dive in. <laughs> we'll see a break here. Jeremy, do you think I have the mark of the beast on me anywhere? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what well because in the last in the last 10 years i feel like i've heard this that or the other thing oh, is man right steady on this rabbit hole cooper here no it's just an interesting one because like i i feel like people always constantly think like i mean i've heard it for so long like this is the like 
what is it? Um, the reincarnation of the devil, this guy. And then it's like, okay, well, that didn't turn out to be true. And then you're like, this is the mark of the beast. And then you're like, well, that didn't turn out to be true. And do you, like, have you heard that? You've probably heard that throughout the years. Like, Yeah, and I mean, I've even had feelings of, you know, who it might be or whatever. You know, that's a, that's a good good question. But uh, Yeah, because it's interesting because I'm not saying, like, I don't believe that anything. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that, like, it couldn't happen, but I just haven't seen the realisticness of maybe maybe people just like shouting loudly. I don't know. I mean, this is this is a this is a deep, it's a, deep, it's deep rabbit hole of which I don't know if I'm ready. Look, okay, look. First, we don't time, have to publicly talk about it. First time we did the uh, the podcast, it was like we just skimmed across the top, just referenced yeah, a few yeah, yeah, little yeah. things. We didn't dive too deep. This one we dive a little bit more deep, and I would just want to say maybe next one we can dive a little deeper. Maybe okay, maybe okay, okay. but um, yeah, that's a. Uh, that's definitely something. Um, something I think about fairly frequently. Yeah. Because you got to think about it. Like, when it does show up, are you going to be smart enough to avoid it? Okay. Well, here. let's. Let, there is some stuff. That Have I'm, I already gotten caught up in it? That's uh, what I worry about. I'm like, am I smart enough to avoid it? Am I already caught up in it? Okay. So, hold on, hold on. Let's let's say a couple things. Here, I'm, I'm willing to entertain a couple of these. Okay. okay. Because these are, like, current events and or... Um, current things that are very notable. Okay, so here's an interesting thing uh, in the in the Bible. Uh, it talks about how uh, you'll be deceived by you know this. Okay, and and the word that is used is pharmacosia. Okay, pharmacosia is the Greek word for peddler of poisons and potions. Interesting. Okay, you already caught me. <laughs> so. The Greek word pharmacosia, okay, uh, and and again, you know, it says that you'll be deceived by pharmacosia, okay, and uh, doesn't take much to realize what that word, the stem of what it is, but strong connection there, yeah, yeah. So uh, that being said, that is that is a big thing. Now, uh, again, something else that's spoken of is a one-world government, a one-world currency. Now, I do strongly believe in a lot of false flags and there's nothing it's called a hegelian dialectic okay and what that is is that you create a problem and then they create a solution pushing the masses into something well you don't to make you not sound like a crazy person you don't have to believe in false false flags you could just look back and see all the ones that have happened because now 10 years out from things 20 years 30 years 50 years out from things you can see what they were yeah to think that they suddenly stopped is a little naive. So it's not like a crazy thought. It's just like a normal thing that happens. You know what's funny, too, is that we kind of just, this is where this, like, fractal approach, this whole circle has come again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a couple three-letter agencies that just happen to pop up every time there's some sort of... Yeah. Some sort of well, I had my buddy on here that served in overseas in, um, in I can't remember, he was Afghanistan. Yeah. And I was, he was asking me, he's like, what do you think of how it all went down? And I was like, well, I think there was, I think it was pretty obvious that we went in there based on things that were told to us at the time that weren't true at all. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I guess like it's tough because he was a Marine in the, in yeah. oh, dude, there. So like to now find out that like, well, 
didn't have to happen and it wasn't like it didn't actually make sense and like when you look back you're like why the heck did all that happen yeah it it's kind of a false flag when you say weapons of mass destruction agreed i was literally having that uh thought on the way down here and uh you know just about all presidents except one are cut from the same cloth of that uh of that group let's just say and and you know there's one outsider but when you when you realize Martin Van Buren, right? Is that who you were referring to? No, Cooper. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, if if you really get if you can put things into two columns, and this is this is honestly so anybody that's listening, I would want to to do this, dude. There's black and there's white. There's two columns. There's there, there's love and there's free will and there's right, and then on the other hand, you have wrong, and then there's control, and then yang there's and hatred. Yang. And, and you have to be able to put these things in two columns, okay? And then there's there's free will, and yet there's control. There is free and open and full disclosure, and then there is, you know, the cover of knowledge, or there's a false narrative, or there's lies. So if you put everything in those two columns, it makes it so much easier to see the world outside and put it in one of those two columns. And, uh, you know, we're often fed a narrative by the media that is, again, bought and paid for by corporatocracy. So, I mean, somehow or another, they're going to try and suppress the truth. You know, fact checkers didn't exist until the truth started coming out, let's be honest. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's like they get a little red flag and something agree, doesn't agree with the narrative. So, I mean... Find this episode on Spotify only. (laughs) (laughs) So again, I'm trying to be very, very judicious about what I say. Yeah. It's like, but, but again, I've arrived where I've at, where I've been through, through a trial by fire of everything that I've believed come under fire. And what, and and again, it's like, I'm not going to cover all those. We don't have time to cover all those. Um, But there's certain things that I would just want to be like, you know, we've been fed a narrative. And we've been told that this, but when you find the truth, it will make you rethink, you know, your stance on something. And the fact that the real fact is, is that we're all very, very similar. And we actually have a lot more in common than we don't have in common. And there's a few people of, of, you know, the percentage, a very, very, very small percentage that is swaying the crowd, that is swaying the, uh, you know, all, all the masses. So if we can step back and cut through the BS and see the truth, dude, we have so much more in common and we really are, you know, we don't have as much beef with one another. You know, it doesn't matter what gender you are, whatever. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't, you know, none of that stuff, but it's like, look, man, if I treat you the way I would want to be treated and ultimately, you know, we can, respect one another and we're called to love our neighbors, you know, and if we do that, then I mean, really the rest of the stuff takes care of itself, you know? So, and, 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 and you know, there, there's so much more stuff to it, but, yeah. uh, but again, it's like, if, if you do just go back to some very basic principles, it's not as bad as it looks. And there's a lot more hope out there than they're actually, than the media would want you to believe. So. Yeah. The false flag <laughs> stuff is definitely something that people need to at least be conscious of conscious yeah. of. Yeah. You don't have to assume everything's a false flag, yeah. but you have to, you should understand the historical significance of what false flags have been able to do. Mm-hmm. 
and where they've led us and what could potentially be a false flag and the fact that it's not something that's made up. They've happened. And the chances of something like history rhymes. Yeah. Things come back around. It could happen. It it will happen again. What is a false flag or not is sometimes only to be decided 10 years later, yeah. unfortunately. Well, I mean, the easy thing is what is the media pushing and what is what is their desired result? And if something comes along that suits that narrative, to me that fits, hey, this should come into question. And if it is devoured by the media and yet something else, and oftentimes there can be a distraction too. So, yeah. you know, oftentimes there's real stuff happening right under the radar and it doesn't make the news cycle because we're pushed something else like a Johnny Depp trial or something, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just, dude, people are, I think more and more people are really like unhappy with certain things and they're like, this is not the way we're designed to be. And that's true. You know, and that, that, that dove so deep into the whole corporate, you know, construct that we live in, but there is a way out and, and there's much more to do it. Do you think that. um do you think a lot of people have the feelings of this and suppress it because they think it it's not like the right feelings to have? Like you're you shouldn't be thinking like like you don't want the thought police to show up type of thing. Like you, you think like more people have these like they know all this stuff's bad, but they kind of just like suppress it to the back of their mind and like try not to like think about it too much or display it. Like Maybe. you you don't want to display it. Maybe, but I mean, like I talk with people almost every day, and I mean, it's on some heavy stuff. But do when they I'm bring on a it up, or do you? It goes both ways. Okay, it goes both ways, and I mean, I see some people that are super deep into it and know a lot of stuff that it took me years to dig to find out, which tells me that they've been digging for a while. So that's fascinating and and interesting. And then there's people that are like, "Oh man, I never knew about the gold fringe flag," you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So take a moment and look what the gold fringe flag is, but it's a captured flag. It's pretty fascinating. And the fact that like anytime you see the gold fringe flag, it's telling you that you're not under the United States flag. That is an abomination. The United States flag. Yeah. It is telling you that you're a foreigner in a foreign nation. You do not have constitutional rights as you're under that flag. You are in a foreign nation and it is not recognized internationally as, you know, a nation. Mm-hmm. It is an abomination to the flag, and that comes from piracy. So ancient pirates would steal a flag, sew a gold fringe around it, and be like, hey, we conquered this. Well, that's another rabbit hole for another time, a little teaser, a little hook. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys can dive in and figure that out and all that. And, I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, – here's another thing, too, that I find. Um, there's a lot of professions that are glorified, that make a lot of money, and I, you know – when you find out the roots and what they're doing and how they're part of this whole corporatocracy, it makes you disgust and revile them, you know, but they're traitors and, you know, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> well, you see, this is interesting because you have a different opinion. You keep saying like corporate, corporate, corporate. Yeah. But I think without government propping up them, yep. they wouldn't be where they are. They're, oh, yeah. A monopoly would not – people always talk about monopolies. I don't think a monopoly would exist in true capitalism. I don't. I don't think. Oh, agreed. I agreed. think the the third leg of these businesses is government, and without them, they would be able to. They would be competing on the 
level playing field like everyone else. I mean, I couldn't agree further. You know, I mean, it's like, like I don't like to blame the corporate because I don't want to no, blame Jeff Bezos for yeah, making a no, great business. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Is the is the fact that like certain companies, again, they've paid to play, and as such, they've gotten unfair advantages. Yeah, you know, the amount of um, people that have done insider trading to gain an edge on the American people—that's wrong. Yep. If we can't do it, but yet you can do it, and we're st- how are the laws not applied to them, but yet they apply to us? Do you know um, Amazon Web Services, the CIA, stores their data on Amazon Web Services? I didn't know that. Yeah, because like Amazon has all the banks of like you can pay to put your data on their bank. Huh, no, I didn't and know that. And the CIA, FBI, NSA, they use Amazon Web Services. No, I didn't know that. Because they feel that they're more secure than what they can make. <laughs> Crazy. They're not even all in the U.S. Crazy. All these. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Like, when I heard that, I was like, why the heck are we doing that? First off, I was like, why the heck do we have so much secret data Yeah. that we need to pay a third-party company to store it? Yeah. And then second off, I was like, why are we paying a third company, third-party company to store it? Oh. Yeah, that's a crazy. That's just like, and that's public knowledge. It's not like a secret. Yeah, no, no I, I just didn't know. That's That's pretty fascinating. I'm but, sure a whistleblower will come out. You know, Snowden will be <laughs> poor guy. No, but what I what I am saying is that, like, um, you know, take a company, you know, that has made a whole lot of money in the last three years here, okay, and uh, they're sponsoring all sorts of anything on TV, you know, things like like that, and that they're basically got immunity from the blowback of something you know so you're talking about mcdonald's right yeah (laughs) but um you know that is that is something that is that is disgusting you know and it's it you know eventually i think history will show that you know eventually the truth does come out sometimes it takes over 100 years but it will eventually come out does it though because i've looked at history books and they Often, well, history published. also has really been rewritten a lot too, which is really fascinating. You know, so again, this comes in that full circle. The Rockefellers bought the uh, education system, yeah, and or the uh, Rothschilds. One thing that always confused me as a kid was our our high school got history books every year. Why do we get new? Why do we have to buy a new history book every year? Yeah, why we can we have the same one that they used since the eighties or whatever? Well, like, know? yeah, like we like <laughs> history did we, didn't change. I was like, yeah. I get that you're adding like what you added a year, you added one yeah. more year yeah. of information. Like yeah. you didn't have to like we didn't need to learn that one yet. <laughs> Maybe every ten years up add some stuff, but that was always surprising to me. I'm like, even like math, like how much is math changing from year to year? Why do we need no, a new math good, textbook? Yeah. That's, that's a good point. History was the scary one though. Because that was weird to constantly update. But I bet you Pelican Publishing has like a deal where it's like, you have to buy a new book every year <laughs> and you got to burn those old ones. Because <laughs> that always works out well too. <laughs> I, I've recently bought um, like a bunch, like I, I like going to like a thrift shop and buying like the old books. Like I have like a encyclopedia from like, like a like a world encyclopedia from like, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And I'm like, that's pretty interesting because it's 
it's different. Like it's yeah. it's not what you would find in a current one. Maybe maybe it's even older, but you can't find Ratchet in there, huh? It's just no. Well, it's like it's it's all it's all world. Like it shows countries and what was going on in the countries at that year. Oh, it's like the world encyclopedia, what, whatever they call it, a geo, geographical encyclopedia deal. It's a pretty cool one, but that's like a fun one to have in like an old dictionary or like an old Bible. Yeah. Like I got a couple like older things because they're so different. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's kind of kind of cool because it's like cemented. Like it's not a website where it's like updated 2023. Yeah. Well, why? Um, so aside from that, you are protecting yourself by growing food. Let's see what you got. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end it off yeah, with yeah, some yeah, yeah. we'll end it off with some well, lightheartedness. Well, first, first off here. Which one of these can survive a nuclear apocalypse? Uh, probably none of these. <laughs> But I got you a little pineapple. Okay, so like, oh. truth be told, here the the bugs got into it right there. But it's it's a cute little pineapple here. I would like to help you devour that. Oh, so look, I'm gonna bring my. Uh, I got you a couple things. Here. I normally don't believe in fruit. Don't believe in fruit. Yeah, like it doesn't exist. Kind of like Australia, it's not there. It's not there. Or Antarctica, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in anything past the southern hemisphere. <laughs> I got you star fruit, so this one's not ri- ripe yet. But uh, and I got you some kumquats here. So oh, oh look at that! I, all right, now these parts right here. Now I'm not. I don't want you to like force to taste these. This is this is hot, yeah, buddy. It's peppers. What do you yeah, mean? This is a spicy t- chili pepper here. Spicy Thai chili pepper. So that's great for all sorts of stuff. But I wanted you to smell this. This is Cuban oregano. It is one of my favorite spices. I got this older guy that helps me out. And uh, this is a sign for other swingers who have an upside down pineapple. I'm winking at him. Wow. You ever see that? No. Nope. If you see an upside down pineapple somewhere, it's like swingers live here. Didn't know that. Yeah. Pineapple is already like a, like a, yeah, like a thing, <laughs> like a sign. Like if you got like pineapple, like if you got like a pineapple doorstep, like come on in. Oh. Oh. Okay. So just no, I, uh, I yeah. didn't. Maybe. I'm... I like showing like Illuminati signals and stuff and like oh, pineapple man. just to show them like in these worlds so they don't take me out. Well, smart. I guess so. <laughs> so okay, so you got all right. So this is Cuban, Cuban oregano. This is super hardy. You can actually propagate the whole thing from just this leaf. And uh, <laughs> there's some golden retriever hair in there, but yeah, yeah you'll be accustomed to that. But do smell that though. It kind of it almost smells like an exquisite cannabis. Now I wouldn't, you know, normally partake in that, but it's like I, yeah, I did my that's, time in high school. Of course, illegal in the free state of Florida. So legal. Legal? Illegal? Yeah, you know, they made a commercial way to make money on it, so it's good. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, what does that smell like? It doesn't smell like a grocery store, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Because I was just saying that to you, how grocery stores don't have a smell, which freaks me out. So I came over extra early this morning, or I tried to get here extra early this morning. That smells really good. And I cut up some of that in, uh, put it in our eggs with some brisket, and uh, and I got you some other uh, stuff too. You know, I for some reason I had this thought, you know, many many years ago that just you know, tending a garden and doing all this other stuff just wasn't as much of a masculine thing. You know, maybe it was just because like my father never never did it, and my mom always was the one doing it, but. You know, I've had a major turn, a major change of heart in the fact that, like, there's nothing more manly than, like, providing for your family of stuff that you grew right then and there. Do you think that that's part of the attack on the nuclear family is trying to make things, like, that are good for you 
seem like something you don't want to do? Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I mean, I'm a huge... instilled in you that, like, it wasn't something you should do. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what You I'm shouldn't grow your own food. Yeah, you shouldn't eat meat either, and you shouldn't yeah. have butter or anything like that, you know, and you should just have all of this, you know, all of the Don't stuff that kids. just was invented, like, yesterday, but all the stuff that we've, you know, lived on for thousands of years, that doesn't work. Well, know? first yeah. off, none of my ancestors lived on any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I tell that to Bronte all the time. She's like, you need to eat more fruit. I'm like... What do you think that you think they had pineapples in Italy two thousand years ago? Maybe in the southern, or maybe in Sicily. You know, I don't know. There's this is a tropical part, though, isn't there? This didn't exist two thousand years ago. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But look, you think you they had that starfruit? Yeah, that are uh, kumquats. Yeah, I do. There's a photo. hey, look. This is from Italy. Here is a pepperoncini. All right. That's probably not either. But there's a there's a photo of in a, it's in Sweden and it's like. It's a black and white photo, and it's like these guys holding a carton of bananas, and it's like the first bananas. Yeah. And it was like 1850. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, they were fine without it. Oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> and, I, and I get that. I get that. So, I mean, there's many different sources to get the certain things and nutrients that you need, 100%. Like a bag of chips, like processed, no. yeah, like corn kernels. Right. Dude, you know, so step back, and you look at the aisles in any of these places, and and you know, you know I've had a conversation, a couple conversations in this regard. In the fact that yeah, it's basically what the food that we're being pushed is really stems from corn or soy. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, you're looking at the wall of food, and it's like this is trash that has you know an oil on it, and and that is something that I wanted to talk about this podcast. So we really do need to wind this down, but but seed oils, yeah, man. Seed yeah, I know bad. you avoid seed oils as much They're as possible. Bad, sure. bad, bad news, and they've made a major difference in my wife's life, um, as far as like chronic pain, you know, and and so on and so forth. And I mean, it can contribute to weight loss and so on and so forth. There's so many huge benefits to deleting seed oils, which are in so many things. I'd love to see the graph on how many things in the grocery store over the years have added seed oils, like where, like where it really ramped up. It was probably like the eighties or the nineties where it just like ramped up and then like red dye. That one's pretty good. Did you actually know red 40 was made from cockroaches? And Red 40 is in like... That makes sense. It's in a lot of different things. So it's like I've deleted, you know, and it has a lot to do with, you know, attention deficit disorders and so on and so forth. And like children, it makes them like extremely hyper. Right. So I mean, like I quit eating Skittles. I love Skittles. Quit eating Skittles, you know. But it's like it requires a lot of discipline in order to do that. But I will definitely say that I feel better generally. And I mean, my gut doesn't bother me nearly as much. But it, but what's unfortunate is, is again, it's like this is basically a petroleum-based byproduct that they're putting in food. And when you get away from that and you are trying to live more natural, which, it's, dude, it's hard. It is freaking hard because you want to go get some bread. You want to sure. have like something that you're like, okay, I'm going to go get some pastrami. It's fresh cut and whatever. But you get the bread, but guess what? Second or third ingredient is like it's got vegetable oil, canola oil, soybean oil, whatever. It's like dang, what the hell? You start to look at other stuff, and you're like, oh, I heard this oat milk is good for me or whatever, and like, wait a minute, soybean oil. Mm-hmm. And then it's got this. And and again, the more that you can get away from those and actually get back to the original, you know, in natural form that is less adulterated, the better for you. But it is very, so very difficult. I watched a documentary on Netflix that just came out, and it's called um, Poison. It's about oh, like... Oh, yes. 
I saw the preview of it just the other day. I it's, haven't seen it yet. It's very interesting when you step back and the whole thing is attacking, like, if you made chicken at home and, like, lettuce, like, E. coli's on all this stuff. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing is basically just attacking that. And then it's like, well, what's your alternative? Go yeah. buy it from someone else? Yeah. Or go buy pre-processed, cooked thing? Like, I was like, is this, is that what they're trying to push? Is that, like... What is the debate here? Like, because yeah. they're basically like, you should be scared of raw chicken and lettuce. Yeah. I was like, well, yeah. What do you not want me to be scared of then? Chips yeah. in a bag? Like, yeah. do you want it to have a a mascot on it that looks like he's on crystal meth? Yeah. Is that a product I should buy? Yeah, I mean, dude, I don't know. I really don't know. But I mean, eating like this is more expensive. You know, why is it? that all of the absolute junk food is so cheap and yet all the stuff that should be less expensive is more expensive. It makes me wonder. Just makes me think about it a little bit You more. should really, though, look at the history of fruit mm-hmm. and see how they've changed over the last... I, I don't doubt that. I don't but doubt that. Like, like a thousand, like 200 years ago, mm-hmm. watermelon didn't even like really exist. It just was like... It was like nothing. It wasn't sweet. It didn't have a bunch of water in it. It was like nasty. Uh, when we first came to the U.S. and the corn that we saw wasn't even anything yeah. similar to what we are eating now. And I always think like how were people better off then mm-hmm. without this stuff than we are now? Because I tell my wife this all the time. She's like, no, I just ate fruit. I'm like, yeah, it's designed to just be sugar. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fruit, but like, and it's like fruit, organic, like whatever um, sugar that comes from a plant. But like it is hyper designed by corporations like Monsanto and companies (laughs) that don't exist anymore to be as alluring as possible. No, I, I, I totally get you on that. And actually, so yeah, the, the, the Monsanto thing with, uh, so Monsanto, you know, makes Roundup. Roundup. They don't exist anymore, technically. Oh, well, I'm sure that there's some sort of something that's still (laughs) spraying vegetables, you know? So it's like, yeah, is the whole GMO thing and the freaking, you know, organic, is it a scam? Yeah, it probably is. But at the same time, it's like uh, for them to spray something on something they shouldn't for, yeah, you know, well, as a byproduct, it is hurting, you know, testosterone. You know, so there's a lot of things out there that are like mm-hmm. crazy that are actually hurting men's testosterone. And, uh, you know, and it's not just that. I mean, it hurts women, too. And, and it does, you know, the opposite effect for them. Yeah, so. I think we're in a boom of infertility. It's a very scary thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a very, very strong boom of it. And like, I don't know, it's crazy. I, I hear more and more people like, I don't want kids. I can't I can't have kids. And I'm like, that's a scary thought. Yeah. Like that's like our most innate like human thing or any animalistic yeah. instinct is to just reproduce and die. Yeah. That is like our basic instinct. And that's like gone in a lot of people. It's kind of scary. Yeah. But I mean, like, dude, we're getting hit from so many different angles, you know? So it's kind of like, this is, this is a much deeper rabbit hole, but I mean, it's like, dude, there is, there's definitely every year. Tru- <laughs> there is a lot of truth in the fact that like the stuff that is on our food is, mm-hmm. is hurting our testosterone. The, the foods that are being pushed are not good for your testosterone. Like, I mean, vaping hurts your testosterone. I mean, beer, weed, 
all of these things are testosterone inhibitors. And it's like, I didn't know that years ago. And it's like, honestly, looking back on it, I would have made different choices in my life. Well, let me ask you this. So all of this stuff, arguably the most healthy people currently in, in the world that people are studying mm-hmm. are Amish communities. Oh, yeah. Totally Do you think good. any of this right here on the table grows in Pennsylvania in an Amish community? Um, it certainly could. This and this definitely could. Um, and that. This is tropical. This is tropical. That's very tropical. <laughs> but, it, but I mean, and that's not to say they that— They don't have any medicine, of course. Well, I mean— They don't have—there's no cases of autism. They don't have any medicine. Yeah. Many they, a rabbit hole. They don't right really there. have much medicine, but the, this oh, stuff is what I'm healthy. kind of pointing out is like— no, do it you may gotta, not be as needed as people think. No, no. Okay, let me let me just say this. You just need hard work. Go build a barn. <laughs> so <laughs> grow a beard. We we definitely need to wind this down. This is not my <laughs> podcast, but we need to wind this down. Okay, so you look. can't get out of this, Jeremy. <laughs> All right, so look here. I I, I agree with you uh, to some degree, and like, look, let's just take this for example. You can make the same fractal type argument that parallel that comes around that we come full circle with okay yeah well this is purified water this is bad so if you have water that has no nutrients in it where are you getting your nutrients from if you water a plant are you getting the nutrients from the water are you uh, allowing the water to you pass that as a medium through the nutrients in the soil for the plant to uptake i would argue the latter okay and if we're not getting the nutrients from this then nutrient needs to come from something like this so yes this has certain things in it that this does not offer. However, if you're having spring water or natural water that has magnesium, potassium, and all these other, you know, um, electrolytes and, and elements or essential vitamins, in I it, add salt to my water every day. Yeah, and I mean, really, sea salt. Yeah, that's what I. You add. know, is, is is something that's worth adding because again, it has trace minerals it's and an so on and so forth. Yeah, fantastic for your body. Absolutely uh, important. There are some things that you're going to get from. Uh, you know, fruits and vegetables that you're not going to get from meats. And dude, I love. I mean, I'm, like I'm you're trying carnival. to sell me a timeshare right I'm, now. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But I mean, listen, you can own it for one week. <laughs> <laughs> you can have brisket five days a week here, but for a couple of those days, have a couple of. You know, yeah. To me, so check this out. This is just me. And if you guys are listening, and you want to try this. To me, my perfect diet is spinach and brisket. It satisfies everything that I ever need and want. I feel fantastic when I eat like that. Just brisket and spinach mm-hmm. and water. Dude, I am. I feel great. I have all the energy. My, my, it checks all the boxes for hunger, yeah. satisfaction, salty. You know, I don't even leafy greens. Me. Leafy greens, I do agree with. Don't even. I 100% yeah. agree with leafy greens. And they're also better because they grow quicker and easier. They don't take as many soil. Nu- like this takes a ton of time yeah. and a ton of soil nutrients leafy greens do not do that yeah and you can't like the cost of things is going very high up right now to put nutrients into the soil is not cheap yeah so that's going to be a big issue in the next five years yeah and i mean as long as you continue to recycle that you know uh back into the earth you know so it's like i try not to waste anything it's like all compost whatever you know and i know you're composting and stuff so it's it's good, and that's a start, and it's like you can use all that. You know, it's not like it wouldn't make sense that we're just depreciating the soil and, and taking all the nutrients out of it. It's got to go into somewhere, and then it's got to come back out somewhere. So 
as long as you can keep that circle going, I think. Yeah, kind of keep the cycle going. I mean, that's why, like, crops, though, they'll leave, like, a, like, they'll do every other field. Like, one year they'll leave it empty, yeah. then the next year they'll use it again. Yep. And some plants, herbiculture, like I was talking about, like, some plants actually add nu- nutrients. So what I'm saying leaves is you actually add help. an outhouse right here. I have a lot of tortoise poop. A lot of tortoise poop. Yeah, like, large amounts. Like, excessive amounts. Like, every, probably... Like, he takes grass, and every, or they both do, but, like, probably, like, a soda can, like, four times a day. Of, soda can. And they turn into, like, balls of hay, they look like, when they dry out. Wow. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh. Hence why he has no grass right there. Right there. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else we need to talk about here before we wrap this up? I, I don't know. What I'm sure you'll be watch? back on. We didn't even talk on, like, inflation and where the world's going to be in the next five years and. All that kind of stuff, because that's what I was also thinking about, like predictions. I like to kind of make Ooh. predictions a little bit, but um, I, I don't. I don't want to make a prediction. <laughs> All right. Well, where can they find you at, Jeremy? Uh, you can check out uh, uh, Faster Proms for uh, Instagram and uh, you know YouTube. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to be having some tuning yeah. stuff coming up. We're going to have a uh, vintage go kart that we found an abandoned go kart, and that is. So much fun, and I want to be able to cultivate that a little bit more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the price of living is getting more expensive, but, dude, there's no reason we can't have more people that are out coming out and go-karting because it is less expensive. It's still expensive, mm-hmm. but for the enjoyment for your money, way better. Way better than than throwing a bunch of money in cars and stuff. And, How dare uh, you? Yeah. I'm sorry. How dare you? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, I mean, we, we can check that out. And if you guys are interested in looking at um, some tuning stuff, you know, just email me, yeah. Jeremy. You need at your car tuned yeah. in the uh, Florida, central Florida yeah, area. Yeah. Actually, let me do that, too, because, I mean, for sure, it's like, uh, you know, Florida or not, you know, I can do mail order tunes yep. internationally. You go, up to Gain- you go up to Gettysburg. Yeah, I go to Gainesville still, too. Gainesville, but, uh, yeah. But, I mean, if anybody's doing mail order stuff, whether it's with a Holly or with HP tuners, I can do it. I generally want to stick with the GM V8 LS, but for the most part, yeah, I can do a lot of mail orders. I do that with HP tuners and Holly, yeah. and it's been it's been great. It it certainly helps fill the days when it might have a little less load. But uh, there's tons of people that we do that for, so it's mm-hmm. that's great. Sometimes that's my whole week is that I'm doing, you know, four mail orders this day and two or three this day, and then so on and so forth. And it's it's cool. Good deal. Well, guys, send them an email if you need anything. You just want to talk about craziness and growing things. Um, we just got to the bare surface of what me and Jeremy talk about when we get on a phone call. <laughs> but that's going to do it, guys. Well, Thank we'll you so much for watching. <laughs> we'll see you next time. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 